and welcome to Hitting Play, the podcast where we review, analyze, and discuss shows, movies, and other curiosities. I am Scott, and joining me is Lily's clone, Lily. <laughs> Hello. Also joining us is Sean's clone, Sean. Hello. He's evil. <laughs> hey, at least he's here. And uh, trying out a mustache for the first time from the movie riffing group One Wall Cinema, who can currently be found on OneWallCinema.com and RiffTracks.com, K1, a.k.a. Kevin, welcome back. Thanks. I'm looking forward to my trip to America. <laughs> <laughs> and last but not least, also joining us is the artist, writer, and creator of the comic series Catbeard the Pirate, who has a Kickstarter in the works, Matt Nelson. I like mittens. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this week is very special. We have a full house, and we watched a classic episode of the great Mystery Science Theater 3000, where they take on the movie Parts, the Clonus Horror. Now, this Mystery Science Theater 3000 episode was actually the 11th episode of Season 8. It originally aired on the Sci-Fi Channel on June 7th, 1997. Now, for those who don't know, Mystery Science Theater 3000 is the story of a human, Joel or Mike, depending on the season, and his two robot friends, Crow T. Robot and Tom Servo, who are forced to watch cheesy movies as part of an evil science experiment started by Dr. Clayton Forrester, along with was it, it was Dr. Lawrence Erhart at the beginning, and then later TV's Frank, and then in the sci-fi run, the experiments were continued by Dr. Forrester's mother, Pearl, along with her cohorts, Professor Bobo and Observer, also referred to as Brain Guy. It ran for 176 episodes over 10 seasons on the Comedy Channel, later becoming Comedy Central, then the Sci-Fi Channel. The, uh, the episode number is actually 197 if you count the original season, which is now referred to as Season Zero, that aired on Minnesota's KTMA. But I don't even think all of those episodes were recovered. Is that correct? No, they yeah. Most of them don't exist anywhere any longer. Yeah. And, of course, thanks to a recent Kickstarter that's reviving the series, that number will go even higher than that. Uh, it won a Peabody Award in 1993, nominated for two Primetime Emmys and six Cable Ace Awards, when there actually was such a thing. <laughs> and it, it was it was started by Joel Hodgson, who was the human until about season five, and then he escaped the satellite and Mike Nelson was fired up there as his replacement. And also notable is that in the middle of the show's run, we got Mystery Science Theater 3000 the movie. Just... Such a great movie. Fantastic. Absolutely awesome. We'll have to do an episode on that sometime. This island to Earth. Yes. So the actual movie that's riffed on within this episode is entitled Parts, The Clonus Horror, directed <laughs> by Robert S. Fiveson, and that movie came out in 1979. Now, did any of you guys catch the Robert S. Fiveson uh, interview that came with the uh, DVD box set? I did not get a chance to watch it, no. unfortunately. It, it was just kind of a, a quick thing. Very interesting. I guess this, the story behind that movie is that uh, Robert Fiveson's friend Bob Sullivan wrote the script, and Fiveson kept hounding him to let him make it into a film. And Sullivan kept refusing because, at the time, his agent was trying to shop this script to some big movie studios, and no deals ever materialized, so finally he caved, he let his friend make the movie, uh, needless to say, it was not a successful film at all. <laughs> but years later now, Mystery Science Theater gave it new life. And the budget was like somewhere in the, the range of $200,000, something yeah. like that. Yeah, the original like 259 or something. Yeah, yeah that's horrible. But I mean, <laughs> 1979 money, that's still not a whole lot. Still a chunk of change, but not, not enough to make a, a good feature film. I'm actually kind of surprised that they were able to snag some... Um, 
decent well-known stars at the time, Peter Graves. Who they got for one day. Yeah, one I was going to say Peter Graves <laughs> movie bookend. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, and Dick Sargent, which, I mean, he was pretty big in uh, Bewitched, mm-hmm. I, I guess. So it's, it's interesting they usually don't see that level of, especially that number of stars in a film like this. So yeah, very interesting. Yeah, once in a while you get some uh, some bigger names in some of these mystery science theater movies. I know Adam West. Demi Adam Moore West, was in was... Master Ninja. Jordan which one was Baker. Adam West in? I forget that one. Oh, man, I can't even remember now. Oh, wait, was it the zombie one? Oh, I, can't I think it was remember. an older one, yeah. I think it was an okay. early. Yeah. Don't forget Jodan Baker and his many. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, of course. I will say on the uh, DVD box set, they, they have the original theatrical trailer for the movie. Mm-hmm. They actually make it look kind of like it might be an interesting movie. Yeah. <laughs> and that's Trailers always lie. I don't know how you guys felt after watching this, but this is, it could be an interesting story. Yes, I definitely agree. Like, the script was probably pretty decent. The execution was lackluster, of course, but there, there's uh, it's an interesting concept. Yeah, if you took this, and this kind of goes into the whole island Yeah, we might as well get into it. Yeah, but I mean, if you took this and made this in 2016 with a, a decent budget and some A decent director. Star, decent director, <laughs> decent everything all around. Yeah, I mean, this could be, it's not a bad story. It's very indicative of the kind of science fiction stories that came out of the 1970s. Yeah, it's almost uh, almost a political thriller. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Yeah, if, so if the premise, of course, sounds familiar to you, you're not alone. Because in 2005, the creators of this film filed an infringement lawsuit against DreamWorks when their movie about clones called The Island came out. Now, how many of you guys have seen The Island? I have. <laughs> I own it. I have. <laughs> I have not, unfortunately. I, I've heard of it, but I have not seen it. I actually saw it in the theaters. Oh, Ooh. no. Yeah, it was a dollar theater, so I didn't feel that bad. So. <laughs> okay, better. Now, Robert S. Fiveson in that box set interview for Mystery Science Theater was talking about how when The Island came out, he got a lot of Mystery Science Theater fans going like, hey, this is your movie, you know, what's going on? And really, they championed his cause to the point where they're like, okay, let's file a lawsuit. It was super obvious, even from the trailer. When the very first trailer came out, and I saw it in the theater, I I remember thinking, I was like, I, well, I wanted to sh- shout out biography at this point because it was so obvious. Yeah. Like, this is just that movie, right? I was like, are they just remaking I thought they were just remaking it. Yeah, it really seemed that way. And uh, reportedly, I guess, when this lawsuit was filed, DreamWorks, they immediately tried to get it dismissed, but a federal judge deemed it was worthy of trial. And they cited over 100 points of similarity. I think it was like 103 or something. And they set a trial date for February 2007, but DreamWorks avoided this. They quickly settled with him, and of course the terms of the settlement are sealed, but Bob Sullivan, I guess in an interview somewhere, indicated it might be in the seven-figure range. That's not confirmed, but, you know, you've got to imagine, this was this was a Michael Bay film, you know, so mm-hmm, yeah. it had a big budget. Yeah, and for it to have that many, like, identical points, you know? <laughs> yes. It's shockingly obvious. It's yeah. it really is. <laughs> when you watch it, it's very very clearly a ripoff of Clonus. It's just got a bigger budget and shinier things. Mm. <laughs> it's currently holding steady at forty percent in Rotten Tomatoes as of right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't say it made it a good movie. I just said it was shinier. Yes. Yeah. This could have used some shininess. The original one. <laughs> <laughs> Aside from the actress's foreheads. Yes. <laughs> Shiny in the wrong the places. Sweat, we could yes. say. So while the island, it's not a good movie. You could 
almost say it's better than <laughs> the movie it ripped off, but uh. <laughs> yeah, it's close. I think it's it's just very ironic that the lawsuit settlement was probably several times larger than the budget and what this movie uh, actually made in its initial run. Yeah, um, so they really made their money in the the lawsuit of the uh, film. But basically, yeah, he he wouldn't really have even gone into this lawsuit had it not been for the popularity of this mystery science theater episode. And he talked about that when he was first approached, you know, to, Hey, we're going to have your movie on this show if you're interested. And he mentioned at first, his very initial reaction was like, it was like a punch in the gut. You know, it's like, Oh, they're going to make fun of me. And then all of a sudden he thought more about it and was like, Oh, wait a minute. This is actually a great thing. You know, this gives my movie a chance to live on and, uh, and have a new life and have, you know, people enjoy it, you know? So it's, it, he really turned around very quickly and is very pleased with the Mystery Science Theater treatment. And that's so true of so many of these uh, really B or, or less quality movies um, that have gotten this resurgence because they're on MST3K. Mm. And, you know, you never heard, would have heard of these things if it wasn't for the uh, the riffing of it and the, the episode of um, the show. So not a bad thing for these, these old movies. Yeah. No. Any publicity is good publicity. I think largely there's a culture growing because of shows like this of people who have genuine affection for these films that are trying their darndest and in some cases manage to reach a level, uh, not of greatness, but of near competence, I guess. And there's, there's an enjoyment in seeing something like that that's just that's trying very earnestly. And maybe it doesn't come out so good. So, you know, maybe you know, maybe you get uh, a Clonus, you know, or or something. But maybe you get something that's almost watchable, you know, like a like like the I accuse my parents or other episodes, where, you know, you think to yourself that wasn't as bad as it could have been. You know, I mean, yeah, they're they're not all Manos. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that I have seen. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with with you on that one because I know myself personally. I I do enjoy movies that are like so bad they become good again um, right i know one movie that not a whole lot of people liked was uh soldier i don't know if any of you guys have seen that one. Oh, that's uh is that kurt russell yes yes um, oh, yeah, yeah. i don't remember if i've seen it all the way through i know i've seen bits of it yeah not a lot of people liked it i actually enjoyed it partially because it it wasn't that great of a movie but i don't know it was just kind of fun to kind of watch and and riff along with hmm. yeah yeah I feel that way about uh, Green Lantern, uh, which is almost universally reviled. But I look at it and I think, you know, this isn't as terrible as everyone says it is. It's a little cheesy, you know, maybe not the greatest uh, representation of that character, but it's got it's it's fun, and and, and I and I can't make myself hate it. I'm yeah. with you on there. I I didn't mind it. Yeah, I thought yeah. it was very good. Yeah. Yeah, it's on yeah. on my list of uh, ones to watch. I've got it sitting next to the DVD player. It didn't make a good riff. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. All right, so let's get right into this episode. So we start with the opening host segment, and uh, in this one, Mike Nelson is growing a mustache for the first time. <laughs> and I like the the bots are really giving him these backhanded compliments. That Crow is calling it a look that challenges people, and Tom Servo adds that it's a look that says, "I look like this, and I don't even care." <laughs> <laughs> If I may say real quick, this episode is one of my favorites because I find that the host segments and the riffing are both just some of the best they've ever done. I love everything <laughs> about this. And right from the get-go, this whole segment about them mocking his mustache makes me intensely happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good way to start it. 
Wasn't there some line about small children and the elderly screaming at yeah. the mustache? <laughs> Mike's mustache. Yeah, I can't I remember exactly how it goes. But yeah, that's that, there's a great line with him saying about that. Now, at, at this point of the show, because this is the Sci-Fi Channel run, uh, Bill Corbett is now playing Crow. Uh, Kevin Murphy, of course, is still Tom Servo as he had been from the beginning of season one. Not season zero, but season one. So basically, this trio is the lineup from the film crew and Rift Tracks that we're familiar with. Yes. But yeah, I love the the compliments become more and more backhanded, and Crow says, uh, you've declared your contempt for the world. Go get him, sport. <laughs> Gosh. Now, were you offended, Kevin? Highly. <laughs> <laughs> there was a, a great picture that Kevin posted of uh, him and his family sporting mustaches. That was awesome. Oh, yeah, that right. Was awesome. Yes, loved that. Kevin and Jeff the cat were the only ones with the actual real whiskers. Right. (laughs) All right, so from this host segment, we go into a commercial break. So when we return, uh, Mike has quickly shaved off the mustache, now dabbing the blood, and uh, we cut to (laughs) Pearl Forrester along with her henchman, Bobo, and Observer, or, you know, Brain Guy, who wake up to find that runaway space children uh, want Pearl to be their new mommy or grandma. (laughs) Grandma. My favorite part about this segment is the fact that the space children are obviously adults on their knees with shoes. Yes. Yes. Well, <laughs> so, great. And the, you the can... First thing... <laughs> and one of them is, is Mike, and it's, it's yeah, not yeah. like they've done anything to disguise him at all. No. It's just Mike. <laughs> He's just wearing a beanie or something. Yeah. <laughs> well, the best thing is, um, it so, so much reminds you of the dwarf. Movies. Yes. Dwarf, oh gosh, uh, that's right. I, I I saw that. I said I wrote Scott a tweet and I said, "Oh man, this reminds me of uh, you know, dwarf plays golf or something." <laughs> yes. With on the knees and the little feet, very very funny. You know, this is um this iteration of the Mads is probably my favorite. Believe it or not, I I just love the the chemistry between Pearl and Brain Guy and Bobo. I think it's just really funny the the situations they get into. You know, I love Doctor Forrester too, and T te- uh, you know TV's Frank, but you know. I I just love this this whole every week's a different type of thing, meaning these different types of Star Trekian you know type of characters. Yeah, you know that's that's partly to do with the Sci-Fi Channel's edict, which apparently the writers didn't like having to write around because they they wanted storylines, which of course because the order, the episodes were never shown in order, wouldn't really work. But it's because of that edict that you, you get that with, with Bobo and, and yeah. uh, the Observer and, and Pearl is that, you know, they had to keep coming up with weird things for them to do. And, you know, it's it's true. I actually do kind of like that. Um, it's fun. Plus, the fact that Bobo and, and the Observer have a sort of thinly veiled hatred for each other is really great. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And I should mention, too, in this uh, this scene here, the uh, space children are played by, well, as Matt mentioned, Mike Nelson is one of them. No disguise at all. Uh, Bridget Jones, or now Bridget Nelson, who's Mike's wife, is the girl, and Paul Chaplin is the uh, the boy that um, can't throw a baseball too well. <laughs> <laughs> the baseball. <laughs> now, Observer is supposed to be this, you know, omnipotent. Of course, he later admits in, in some point that he's not that omnipotent, but... <laughs> He's really powerless against these children, and the kids make Pearl and the rest of them punch themselves in the face here. And so we cut back to the Satellite of Love, and Mike hopes that these powerful kids might be his ticket out of there. So Mike threatens to beat the kids if they send him a movie to watch. 
And then he bribes them with Beanie Babies and $100, and we get some reverse psychology. They're really all over the map when it comes to dealing with these kids. So the the kids confer with one another, and they agree to send the satellite another crappy movie, of course. And Crow tells Mike that he couldn't raise an earthworm in this scene, which is pretty funny. (laughs) Mike's ineptitude with the kids is great. Yeah. (laughs) He really, really sells it. He has no idea what he's doing. They talk about, is there a point where he says, but he's talking about getting a belt? Is that one of the lines he uses? He says, so, yes. he says, don't you dare do that or it'll be the belt for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, shh, Mike, Mike, Mike. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> so immediately we get movie sign, which is an alert that tells Mike and the bots that a movie is about to start. So we next get one of the hallmarks of the show, the long corridor shot. It's always through a series of strange doors, ending with our view of the theater as Mike and the bots take their seats in the very famous silhouette at the bottom of the screen. And so, yeah, that that corridor shot is so great, and it changes uh, every so often. There's a a couple different iterations of it, but uh, yeah. I think there's at least three. There's the, the KTMA version, there's the one they did after that when the show first, you know, like the first proper version and then i think actually it was when the sci-fi channel took over that they said they redid it because just because their budget was a little bit bigger mm-hmm. and it was starting to show its age especially in comparison with the bridge shots that they did and uh they so they rebuilt it and i guess it was the, if i remember re- correctly reading in the um uh the amazing colossal episode guide they said it was just an absolute nightmare to shoot but of course you know they only had to get it finished once and then they could reuse it over and over again yeah, yeah i'm trying to think didn't they like pull like an intern or something like through the corridor. Yeah, I mean, they literally walked through it. I mean, you know, and then, like, had people on each side doing whatever little, you know, the little weird roach thing and the and the jets of steam and whatever, you know, gimmick was in each section of the hallway. They So it was, I guess the timing was just a nightmare to get right. I can imagine, yeah. And the movie version's different, too. They got, like, a, yes, a bigger true. budget I forget about too. that, yeah. The movie version actually has a little bit of a uh, tribute to TV's Frank in it, too. Oh, really? I didn't catch that. The very, I think it's the very last thing, um, the last door has a a face on it with a big spit curl right in the middle of its forehead <laughs> that's surrounded by, uh, I think, bowling pins, if I remember correctly. Oh, nice. And uh, yeah, so it's a, it was a little tribute to Frank there. And I was like, oh, that's nice. Very cool. So now getting into the movie, we open on a secret scientific facility where we see a row of people frozen in bags. And uh, Tom Servo refers to this as Julia Child's secret freezer. <laughs> 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 so great now this cuts to a rally for jeff knight played here by peter graves and we see that jeff knight is currently in the middle of a presidential campaign you see a lot of people a lot of 70s looking people and they they mike and the bots shout you know like hooray for the 70s <laughs> <laughs> the we want billy beer was one of my favorites yes. right there <laughs> <laughs> uh, now there's a lot of biography shouting oh mm. <sighs> And this is, of course, because Peter Graves was the host of Biography on A&E. And so, yeah, just uh, so many biography references So many references. I I seem to recall reading, unfortunately, that Mr. Graves wasn't terribly excited about their... uh... (laughs) <laughs> their their ribbing of him in, in this film and I think he was in one other uh, Mystery Science Theater episode too and and he was unfortunately one of the actors who didn't quite have as much sense of humor about it <laughs> now the uh, the amendment to the Amazing Colossal episode guide was done online I don't know if you guys ever seen that where two, yeah. two fans uh, let me get their names here I want to give them credit Chris Cornell and Brian Henry they actually commissioned uh, 
from some of the crew members, some of the cast members and crew members, uh, an amendment for the re- remaining seasons because I think the episode guide goes to season six through season six up to seven, right? Right. Yeah. So uh, in their entry for this episode, uh, Paul Chaplin makes some comments, and he was talking about how there's a joke in the closing credits, maybe in the original airing, where uh, they they mentioned uh, you know coming up on biography Peter Graves, you know it's like uh, the the life of Peter Graves on biography, and when it after it aired, sure enough, at that time there was a biography special on <laughs> Peter Graves. They they just couldn't <laughs> believe it. So after this rally, a hand shuts off. The, uh, the what's being seen on TV. We cut to a group of people in red, blue, and green Adidas athletic wear jogging along a dirt road on a large campus. <laughs> we, we get the title, Parts, The Clone is Horror, all in lowercase. Crow makes a great remark. Well, maybe E.E. E. Cummings wrote it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually one that at first, I don't remember if I got that one right away because I um, am sadly illiterate when it comes to poetry. <laughs> No, we next see many more people in similar colored clothing walking around this large area. Uh, they, I think Crow describes one of the places as the Sydney Opera House High School. <laughs> Very 70s looking scene. People are jogging, they're doing jumping jacks, other exercises. Uh, there's also, uh, as we see, men in blue tracksuits wearing headsets. They're monitoring the area as well. The Beastie the, Boys. The, yeah, exactly. Kevin, <laughs> yeah. Kevin posted a very funny picture. Exactly what they're wearing here. And these men are referred to as guides, I believe, in this movie? Yes. Uh, yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah, the guides. Yeah. Basically, they're henchmen. They're guards. They're henchmen. Yeah. But, you know, in terms of dealing with these people, they're known as guides. And, uh, you know, obviously, we can tell what's going on here, where they're just keeping close uh, watch on the situation, monitoring everything, and reporting back to some secret location. Now, Lily, is this basically what college is like for you? Yeah. I mean, pretty spot on. Yeah. <laughs> This is what your campus looks like. <laughs> yeah. The Adidas running suits. Yep. Everybody wears shorts that are too short. I was just going to ask, is that you know, is that back in again? <laughs> Thank. Kind of actually. <laughs> so uh, one group leaves on bikes as these men in tracksuits follow in a cart. Uh, there, there's other things going on. We see a push-up competition. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> this whole segment. Yeah, two guys wrestling on a very large mat. <laughs> I like the uh, the Gilligan reference in this one. We see the, it looks like um, there's a gentleman in the background with the Gilligan shirt and the white hat on. Oh, oh right. The, Gilligan. Yep. the Bob Denver thing. Bob, yeah. Bob Denver, yes. We also notice here that these people have small tags attached to one of their earlobes. You know, the first clue that something's off. Well, other than the frozen bodies, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, and the, and the constant gym meet sessions, yeah. Yeah, it's very strange. <laughs> so we cut to two doctors now in a computer room in white lab coats. This is Dr. Jameson and Dr. Nelson, who Mike calls Professor Darren and Dr. Super Mario Dr. Super Mario Brother, right? Yeah. <laughs> Because of his very large mustache. <laughs> the constant, like, Mario Brothers music that they kept doing oh. Through, oh, cracked me up every <laughs> so time. So funny. So great. <laughs> I'm a sucker for a Mario Brothers reference. It's the real subtle, really subtle, like, do-do-do-do-do-do. Yes. <laughs> I love little Soto Voce. Is that how you say that? I yeah. Think that's how you say that. Uh, jokes like that, where, you know, you, you can just pick up on them. I, I love ones like that. And that was the, their prime examples of that. 
So these two doctors, they're monitoring all of this from a remote computer room. And I should mention here, Dr. Jameson is played by Dick Sargent, uh, most famous for replacing Dick York as the character Darren on the later seasons of Bewitched. Hence all of the Darren jokes and mentions of Dick York and everything. So, you know, between that and biography, <laughs> it's, it's very, very funny. You know, I've never actually seen Bewitched. Hmm. Really? Yeah. I've seen it. They used to air it on Nick at Night. It was okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I uh, I actually thought when I was watching, because I watched Bewitched as a kid, and I thought that Dick Sargent was the first Darren, and I was mistaken, of course. It was Dick York. And yeah. Dick York, if you look at him, a poor guy. I mean, the reason I replaced him with Dick Sargent was because he had some serious, serious medical issues going on. I think his, he had some serious back issues, and he just couldn't do it anymore. So my first thought was, man, I can't believe that he's actually doing this film if he had all these medical issues, but it turned out to be the second Darren, Dick Sargent. Hmm. Oh, I never knew that. Yeah. So after reviewing some files now, Jameson makes a phone call to one of the guys at the wrestling match saying that they're ready. And so the match is stopped, and the blonde guy that's wrestling, this is George, is very happy to find out that he has qualified, and now he gets to go to America. And he excitedly goes over to tell his friend Richard. And so we, we next see this farewell party for George. He, he gets a welcome to America cake. Made to look like <laughs> waves on a beach. <laughs> I, I remember thinking that it seemed an awfully small cake for the number of people that were always, you know, around at this thing, too. And I just thought to myself, is this supposed to be like for the whole group? I don't... <laughs> That's true. Not, not everyone's getting cake here. <laughs> <laughs> well, later on, we see a, a video screen, and uh, they'll talk about the parties that they have, the farewell parties, and we see a, a picture of this cake. So are we to assume they make the same cake every time? They yeah. clone it. Yeah. yeah it's exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, question answered. I, like Tom Servo calls it a plate of drywall. It does <laughs> does not look too appetizing. Yeah, it's very unappealing looking, too. That was the other thing I noticed. I was like, wow, that, no effort. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the clones don't know any better, I guess. No. No, they're definitely not very bright. <laughs> no. Yeah. Remember the Blow girl link. at the beginning of the movie? Like, What's a bet? <laughs> I was immediately like, oh, God, is it going to be like this the whole time? <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. That and yes, worse. <laughs> So George now gives a farewell speech to all of his friends at the party, saying that he knows they'll all join him in America soon. And he gives one final goodbye to his girlfriend? Uh, yeah, uh, we assume. Well, they, it's implied. They like touching one another. <laughs> yeah, that. oh gosh. The way that's said is so awkward and uncomfortable. Even like the beginning scene where they're sucking face, it's like awkwardly too much. It's really, really unpleasant. <laughs> yeah. So George is next brought to an operating room where the two doctors, they tell him that his party was just step one of going to America. And of course, America is in quotes every time we, we say it here. Uh, step two is to drink a glass of orange colored liquid that Tom Servo calls Sunny D. <laughs> <laughs> And so he drinks that down. I like when he drinks it, Crow's like, I think he's ready to play quarters now, Doctor. <laughs> and uh, this is the, the scene where you were talking about, Kevin, where Dr. Nelson takes away the empty glass and Tom does a little bit of the uh, Mario Brothers music. Yep. <laughs> 
So Jameson makes George count backwards from 100, and he passes out. Okay, I have to stop for a moment. This part where he starts going, 98? (laughs) Okay, and they're like, oh, yuck, it's turning him on. I lose it every time at that, because that dude's delivery of 98 is just so gross. (laughs) It's dead on. When Servo says, oh, yuck, it's turning him on, it's just the best thing ever. It is, it is such a weird is, delivery of oh, those lines. It's so Bizarre. weird. What do you think the director like gave him for like, okay, now deliver this line like this. <laughs> like, yeah, what, yeah. what did he say? How, how, what were the other takes like? That yeah, that's all I was thinking. I mean, yeah. <laughs> was he just doing it so dryly that he's like, oh, just you know, pretend you're, you're aroused by it or something by counting. and <laughs> Camp it up, son. Camp it up. <laughs> yeah, right. really. Okay, now you're excited to be going to America. <laughs> no, not that kind no, of no, excited. No. Oh, gosh. I thought it was really hilarious at first. They're like, oh, we're going to America. And it's like this clearly suburban scene of people <laughs> who are clearly American. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. obviously it's not like it's supposed to be that way, but I thought it was extra funny. Yeah. So now George counts back from 100. He passes out almost immediately after this very awkward scene. And they slap a serial number sticker on his forehead. And they begin to fill his veins with a green fluid. They attach all kinds of intravenous tubes to him. So then they place his body in a large plastic bag and they freeze him. A scene which Mike describes as the real story of Taco Bell, which is cracking me up. <laughs> uh, I also love the line where they basically say, oh, they're just taking the blood from his left arm and putting it in his right putting arm. Putting it in his right arm. Yes. <laughs> and going along with that, they, they said the line where he said they're giving him the uh, Keith Richards treatment. Yes. Yes. <laughs> hilarious. This, it's hilarious. Ca- it's hard to point out great lines from this episode because there's, there's so, so many, many of them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Some of them, you know, some MST3K episodes is a, a few really good lines. This one has so many. It's just so many so references. Many. I use this one actually quite a bit as an episode to get people into the show because, or, or people who are just marginal fans, because I'm like, no, no, you have to see this one. Yeah, it's really great. And, and, example, like, yeah. and like we were talking about, the story is engaging enough to keep yeah. it going. So George screams and we cut to Richard, who's sitting by a river reading a book. <laughs> And just then, we see a girl named Lena, played by Paulette Breen. She tumbles off of her bike and rolls down to the river, and she ends up all sprawled out to the camera, which Crow turns and says, Oh, this is excellent cinematography, Mike. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This poor woman in this movie. I know. Supposedly, I didn't see it in uh, in watching it, but supposedly you see a stagehand to kind of help her as she falls down, like, to make sure she doesn't tumble forward. Oh, I never caught that. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. There's a lot of that. Boom mics being uh, in shots and things like that. It's very, very funny. So, Richard comes to her aid, and she notices that he has a tag on her ear like she does. <laughs> and they also kind of mention where they live on the, the compound. But before oh, right. they can talk even further than that, the two guides take her away and report on their headsets that two controls accidentally met. Now, I thought it was funny. Don't most of the people there have, like, the uh, weird earring tag things? Yeah. I mean, I think because they were in the same ear, it was what, you know, was the difference between the two of them. Yeah, oh, really? I just okay. thought that was odd because I yeah. was like, doesn't everybody have one? Why is she like, oh, look, your ear is the same as mine. I mean, I know the clones aren't that smart, but. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know that I ever noticed that the rest of them had them. Maybe it's a different color. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. 
Or just the fact that she kind of tumbled down to the river and saw somebody that wasn't with her group mm. and just noticed, mm. oh yeah, you're one of us. I don't know. Mm. Uh, a lot of uh, unanswered things like that that are I'm not knowing the answer to. <laughs> <laughs> so we cut back to the computer room and Nelson advises that the two be separated immediately and that, you know, they have to be reprogrammed now. But Jameson, for some reason, says, oh, we'll just monitor their interaction because it could prove to be interesting with, of course, Mike adding, but I doubt it. <laughs> okay reprogram their clothes i always wondered about robots. that too yeah <laughs> yeah because we don't really see any evidence of them being like mind washed or anything like that it's well no you kind of do well there's the the education scene later but it's not really and the uh well, i mean not to spoil it but the very end of the movie oh well yeah but that's like that's implied to be a, a surgical thing not yeah. a not a reprogramming thing. That's that's what I wondered. I was like, this reprogramming that never really happens in the movie. Maybe it's just a throwaway line that. Oh, maybe. maybe. It was like it, a see, I I thought leftover line of dialogue from an earlier plot variation that never happened or something like that. But I always wondered about that because I never, you know, I've never watched this movie uncut though. So, you know, like with without the riffing. So maybe hmm. there's something in there that we don't know about. Yeah. Oh, I, I just assumed it was the uh, lobotomy thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, although the reprogramming would start them at square one, lobotomy would just, you know, square zero at that point. There's really nowhere to go forward from there. Well, they're not that far off from square zero. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Nelson also makes the comment here that Walker could be displeased. It's kind of the only time we, one of the very few times we, we hear that name. And I'm not sure which which uh, person in the theater says it, but someone says, "Go eat a mushroom, Mario." Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was cracking up. So we next cut to the campus where we see the clones, you know, just going about their business. And one of the tracksuit guides goes way out of his way to drive his cart around w- Richard, <laughs> just so he couldn't see what he was carrying. And Richard is very suspicious, and he asks the other clones. I guess they're at the clone cafeteria. <laughs> If they have had similar experiences and everyone's quiet, but a, a Scott Bayo looking clone says that the guys are just there to look out for them. You know, he's not, doesn't even want to hear what he has to say. Yeah. Yeah. They're all very, very happy with, the, with things. I, I suppose that's probably part of the, the really super subtle social commentary of the movie. Hmm. Yeah. And, and to me, that scene, like where he drives like around him, there was a whole bunch of other people also walking up the sidewalk too. So, I mean, it, I mean, I suppose if you're paranoid, clone it would look suspicious (laughs) but i mean it it just kind of comes off as oh there's a bunch of people we're just driving around yeah Yeah. (laughs) common courtesy yeah i mean (laughs) it's courtesy not to run over them exactly i mean thinking about the uh you know the grounds crew at at the college i went to you know they were driving the carts like all over the place (laughs) (laughs) and richard is suspicious that he's carrying something what could he be carrying at this point that he doesn't want richard to see you know, if it Gwyneth was something Paltrow's that, head in a box, I don't know. Well, yeah, you'd think if it was something like that, it would be done under the cover of night, you know, or, <laughs> or through an underground tunnel, or I'm sure they have something that they don't have to cart it around in front of all the clones. Yeah. But maybe he's just being paranoid. But we, we're starting to, to get the beginnings of him being a free thinker. I think that was the, the reading the book was supposed to imply that as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Richard wants to know, like, who are these guys always talking to on their headsets? And again, no one wants to discuss, so he's like, fine, I'm going to go for a walk. So we get a scene of Richard walking out in 
the field towards the river uh, my, as Mike narrates, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to start a band called Air Supply. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah. And Richard sits down to rest at the riverbank with his legs very awkwardly spread apart. <laughs> Have some sun, little friend. <laughs> yeah. I died when I heard that. That was so funny. Oh, man. It uh, Just then, you know, he kind of stands up and he looks out towards the river. Uh, I guess it's uh, low tide over there because he's able to walk right out into the middle there. Uh, he spots an old Milwaukee can in the mud and he goes out to pick it up. And, you know, this only adds to his suspicions. And he stops to think for a while. And Mike and the bots leave the theater. This is probably the most anyone's ever thought about a can of old Milwaukee. <laughs> yes. In a long time, yeah. Good product <laughs> placement there. Yeah, really. Yeah. I will say that as in the island, the, the kind of parallel scene they have of him discovering, you know, the outside world where it's a, a, like a butterfly or a moth or something like that is probably a little strangely classier you know it's like a, another living thing you know what i mean mm. Some, something other than hey here's an old beer can that one of the <laughs> guides managed to stop not not throw away <laughs> right really so back in the satellite now mike crow and servo they watch the situation that's happening below as pearl and brain guy are forced to play Candyland with two of the space children while bobo is repeatedly getting a ball thrown at his crotch <laughs> playing catch with the third one best line is uh bobo has to go see the reconstructive urology (laughs) (laughs) quite an arm on paul chaplin's orphan there it's such a it's such a broad joke but it's so funny (laughs) so from from bobo walking away in terrible groin pain we cut to commercial So at this point, the show goes into a commercial break, so why don't we take this opportunity to take a commercial break ourselves? We'll pay some bills, and we'll be right back. Coming soon to the Hidden Play Network, a weekly debate show that touches all the hot-button topics. Hear all sides of the issues from hosts and guests who aren't afraid to speak their mind. Enjoy a sneak preview of the political podcast that everyone is talking about. Wait, did that say podcast? Uh, what's happening? Um, I, what? I, I, I don't think I'm in the right studio. Um, hello? Anybody? Help? And we're back. All right, so when we return, we see the clones assembled at an auditorium as Dr. Jameson walks to the podium. (laughs) Mike calls this bewitched palooza. (laughs) (laughs) I like the idea of a bewitched con. (laughs) I'm sure such such things exist. Oh, probably. So here Dr. Jameson goes over their various lessons. We get a clone that's not too bright, kind of giving us a recap. So I don't know if this information is accurate. But uh, in lesson one, the clones learn about when they were babies. Lesson two is about food and shelter, and lesson three is animals. It's like which which we've seen none of. That's the thing. Yeah, we... <laughs> it makes you wonder, knowing the entire story and what's going to happen to the clones, like why even bother going into this whole uh, teaching experience anyway? Yes, exactly. It, it, you know, what's the point? I mean, just let them live, and when it's time for them to go, and you know. Go, go to, to America. America. <laughs> is go to America. I mean, 
it's just very it seems like a waste maybe of time. the implication is that they need to have something in their brains in case there's a brain transplant i mean we're in <laughs> we're in some kind of science fictiony 1970s world where they can make clones and and uh you know use them for other parts spoiler alert but you know <laughs> i guess i don't i don't know yeah yeah that that is odd that they would even bother wasting their time money energy educating these clones just no really no reason to yeah stick them in a box and throw in some mini wheats every once in a while you know yeah it could be like <laughs> the matrix where they're all just kind of hooked up and sustained yeah. and that's it i think the idea is to keep them in peak condition i like the education doesn't play into account that much but the running well, around and wrestling and yeah true, true. they probably had should have had a sex ed class uh somewhere oh, in gosh. there Yes. Seems like they figured that out all on their own. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> but cl- lesson one is about the clones learning about when they were babies. So, I yeah. mean, like, what were they told? Like, <laughs> Good point. You know? Well, when you were hatched from an egg. Yeah. <laughs> they, they were given a, an alternate version of the facts of life, you would imagine. So today, the lesson that they're given is lesson 10, which how, how often do they have a new lesson? I don't know. Oh, anyway. yeah. Does, <laughs> do, the, are they, do they have accelerated growth rates? That's, that's a good point. I never yeah, thought about that. Because if they're learning about all that stuff when they're like pretty much adults, what did they do when they were kids? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But we tend to not think that they have accelerated growth rates because of something we find out later. But Right, uh, right. It's just, it's very strange. Yeah, ten, ten, ten lessons over 40 years. Chimney Christmas. <laughs> uh, so, lesson 10 is where the clones learn about what they call the Others, I believe he mentions. And uh, so the screen drops down behind Jameson and they, they play this, this slideshow. Uh, it's all about the process of going to America. This is where we see that there's going to be farewell parties. And they have pictures of America where it's, you know, just people smiling and hanging out. <laughs> So not like different from their current life. I guess not really. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And they also mention here that uh, after their party, they get escorted into the round building in the entranceway to America. (laughs) So evidently America is through a doorway in a building. It's like a portal for all they know. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the, uh, the narrator describes America as the land of beauty where all your dreams come true and the clones all applaud and the video ends. Dr. Jameson next asks if the audience has any questions. <laughs> Tom Servo asks, yeah, are you and Dick York friends? <laughs> that's so, that's, that's such the kind of question you see at Comic-Cons. It's like that too, of people who are talking to the actors. And <laughs> you, you can see some people just get irritated too, because you're like, oh gosh, you're wasting your moment with that. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> I love that bit. question. <laughs> kind of off topic but it, any of you guys uh watch con man no i didn't no, get a chance I to. Want to yeah what's pretty that good. now what's con man oh the the alan tudyk uh nathan Fillion. oh 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 i didn't know what it was called i'd heard that they were working on a thing yeah it's good then it's pretty good yeah. yeah i'm sure it's filled with those frustrations what platform is it on uh vimeo okay so no, it's not like a pay platform okay nope well, nice. I think you have to pay to rent. Vimeo oh, okay. on demand, I think. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, they've also got like Blu-rays and DVDs of it too. So. Oh, sweet. 
So yeah, Jameson's asking if anybody has questions. So Richard, of course, very inquisitive right now, raises his hand and he tells Jameson that he found something that he thinks is from America. So everybody's very interested in hearing and he walks up and hands him this beer can. And Jameson just laughs and says, no, it doesn't come from America. It comes from the river. And uh, oh yeah, I'll just keep it for the museum. <laughs> Naturally occurring Milwaukee cans. Yes. Sprouting in the river, yeah. <laughs> I never understood why he didn't just say, yeah, oh yeah, it's from America. How much easier would that have been? Yeah. 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 With a, <laughs> an explanation, yeah, there's something from America. Won't that be exciting? You'll get to go to America and see lots more of these Milwaukee cans. Yeah, or just, uh, I was thinking he could even just say, oh, that was mine, I lost it, thank you for finding it, you know, yeah, I'll so give you an extra than brownie going, or something. No, it's not from America, it's from the river. Yeah. It's a plant. <laughs> so it might have just pacified him at that point if he had said something else besides what he said, you know, he could have just ended the whole thing right there, possibly, all the yeah. curiosity. <laughs> It's so obvious that it's not from the river. <laughs> if it's from the river, why aren't there more of them? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> now, the clones from this auditorium are dismissed, and Jameson angrily takes one of the guides aside, demanding to know how that beer can got through the water valves and past the cleanup crew. So evidently, like, this this river is kind of artificial. It's Everything's going through this water filtration system, and the, those guides have cleanup crews that, you know, strenuously take the time to comb the perimeter to make sure no trash flies in uh this beer can somehow got in I, you wonder how which which is really hilarious when you think of how easy it in mean, a little bit how easily he escaped the uh facility <laughs> yes. yeah by jumping over the the four foot fence basically and uh with no barbed wire or anything else on it you know so probably teenagers yeah. going in there to drink yeah, that's exactly really. what i was just thinking <laughs> the sign was keeping them out you know yeah which works so well yeah so, another curious scene next. We, we later see clones lined up in front of a phone booth-like structure with headphones. These are called confessionals, and this is, I guess, <laughs> just like an information kiosk for the clones. They can go in there, they can talk to a robotic voice and ask, you know, whatever's on their mind. And so, Richard yeah. enters and, and it, asks this robotic voice what Milwaukee spells. You know, M-I-L-W-A-U-K-E-E. And Servo says it spells 299 a case. <laughs> <laughs> I, love, I love that bit. <laughs> I've never had Old Milwaukee. Have any of you guys? Oh, God, Can't no. say that I have. I don't buy anything that comes 299 a case. No, no. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think you could find it. I, I well, maybe you can still. Might be oh, still you can. Oh no, we we I I work in a grocery store during the day when I'm not cartooning, and we have Old Milwaukee. It's still available. Oh, oh yes, oh yes. After appearing in such a prestigious film, how could it not be? <laughs> I know, <laughs> really. It's like the Reese's pieces of beer. <laughs> So the, the robot voice takes a moment and replies that, no, this is some sort of nonsense spelling. <laughs> and he replies, no, J Dr. Jameson claims it can be found in the river. <laughs> so obvious. Oh, that's terrible. It's interesting, too, that this is called a confessional. Right. Because they're not, I mean, it's more of a, like you said, an information booth. They're not confessing anything. I mean. Yeah, why, why not call it an information booth? An information booth, you know, question booth, answer yeah. booth. Confessional is like, I don't know, lazy writing. Yeah, it makes it sounds more culty. See, I, I, I think, again, uh, like I said, I, th I think that's kind of part of that whole, you know, the 70s sci-fi thing. So they were always trying to do some kind of social theme. And so I very much think that, you know, the references to America, the confessional, were kind of really very sloppy social commentary type stuff where the confessional mm. lies to you, you know. And uh, and so 
that's that's I'm pretty sure what they were trying to get at with this, but it doesn't really work because they don't go in there to confess things; they go to ask things. Yeah, it's faux Orwellian schlock, is what this is. Fowellian. Yeah, Fowellian. I have a follow up question. Why does the river know how to make words? Yeah, <laughs> yeah even you know a clone that maybe has lived all his life on this campus. Still, some things are kind of intuitive, and that that's got to be one of them. He's read books; he can read. Yeah, he can read. Yeah. <laughs> Would have been so much easier not to lie. Yeah. It was the dumbest lie. Really it really dumb. is. So the voice now tells Richard that Milwaukee is a type of river mineral not found in America. Like just the lies get worse and worse here. And so Richard walks away dissatisfied. Like, all right, fine. He's never going to get any answers to this. So he just walks away. So... We next cut to a group of clones biking in what Crow calls the go as slow as you can without tipping over race. <laughs> it really is great, too, because you see, you can even see them kind of wobble as they ride because they are going super slow. Yeah. And, and Richard, I, I guess the clones kind of have free reign. They can go wherever they want, it seems. He goes off and hides in a tree and he drops a note as Lena pedals by. <laughs> Very inconspicuously yeah, in this yeah. tree break. Yeah, and then Hi, Richard. Hey, Richard. What you doing in the tree, Richard? <laughs> so she reads the note, and then she hides it kind of under her shirt, or in her pants. I can't remember. Either way, we next cut to a very dark scene that night at some sort of ranch. And, man, the cinematography here is terrible. Mike describes it as being lit by an Indiglo watch. <laughs> There's a bit of a dated reference. I know, Lily, have you ever seen Indiglo watches? I've never have. (laughs) We're old. Basically, what were they, Timex watches? Timex. I think they patented the Indiglo brand, yes. Yeah, uh, you you basically press a button. I think you press the button in on the side, and the dial glows this uh, very uh, cool aqua color that lights up, but not too bright, you know? Well, it's better from the days when I think watch faces are made of, like, radium or something. Is that? <laughs> it's a little later than that, <laughs> but yes. Yeah. It was the less, improvement less, on that, uh... Uh, to see your watch in the dark. But, uh, so, they're kind of at this ranch, and at night, so I guess the clones can kind of go as they please in some sense. But, it, it, again, it doesn't make sense, because you can see they're being watched pretty carefully, and they have bed checks. Yeah. Later yeah. in the movie, so it's like... This night, they, they forgot to check that they were in their proper place. I mean, are, are they just watching them to see what they do, like they alluded to before? Yeah, it's got to be. very bizarre. It's very inconsistent. It, it's got to be where Jameson was saying, let's see their interactions, let's see what happens. This is probably what's going on here, because like you said, they, they check them at night. They're always on their headsets reporting, you know, the two of them met and all this stuff. So it's got to be what's happening. But oh, again, you're why this movie a lot of credit? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm trying to think, of, you know, because the script is halfway decent, but the execution is poor. My theory is that Jameson is secretly a double agent, and he's trying to sabotage the whole thing from the inside. Yeah, well, why would Jameson <laughs> allow these two to, to interact? You know, it's, it's, it'll be interesting for what everything for what he purpose? everything he does leads to the downfall of this place. That's all I'm saying. It's true, yeah. very or, true. Or he's just a stupid clone as well, and he's just <laughs> <laughs> he managed to get the real Jameson suit on. It's like a Blade Runner type uh, scenario. Everyone's a clone. <laughs> <laughs> Makes you wonder too why they kept this barn here in the first place. 
Yeah, I think that would raise. Oh yeah, there's no horses or anything. What it's, the just heck? A, it's just a it's just a dilapidated <laughs> barn. You know, it's like why would they even keep that on the property? It, it just raised more questions. Of, you know, what is this structure? Why is it here? Every time you know? I think more about this movie, it just <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. Yeah, it's just uh, when Walker bought the property, there was an old ranch on it. Uh, so Richard here tells Lena that he asked her there because he knew there was something different about her, and evidently she feels the same way about him because she crashed near him. <laughs> <laughs> They're both clumsy idiots, apparently. Yeah. They both have the earring with and similar same ears. Ear, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they start a fire, which, again, how do they even know how to do that? <laughs> and they talk more about their lives as clones, and there's some suspicions that they talk about. And Lena mentions she once had a boyfriend that was called to America, but he refused, and it didn't matter. He ended up disappearing anyway. And so Richard also mentions his distaste for the popular saying around campus, what must be, must be. Mm. Very Bill Belichickian line there. Yeah. So anyway, they continue to compliment one another and kiss as we cut to commercial. (laughs) Thank goodness. (laughs) So when we return, it's the next morning, and Lena is reclined on Richard as smoke rises from the fire pit behind him. (laughs) The best part of the whole episode. Yeah, it really was. This, This scene. Yeah, very awkwardly rising plume of smoke. Very awkwardly placed. Like the line gotta go a little easier next time has me in tears almost every time. <laughs> Only a... you can prevent crotch fires. <laughs> she was Roy on top of all those old smoky. Oh gosh, it's, how did no one notice? Yeah, like you'd think the camera guy would just be like, should we maybe move the camera over so this doesn't look like uh No? Oh okay. No? Alright, we'll we'll go with it. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's so preventable. Like like you said, they could just move the camera. Yeah, an inch to the left and I've been fine. Yep. Well and you have to do it in one take probably. It's probably not as uh <laughs> easy to plan yeah. these things out. Uh, so as they're laying there, Richard tells Lena about the beer can. And Lena tells him about seeing an older stiff clone under a sheet when she was a <laughs> child. Is that it's like something yeah. weird like that? Yeah, when she was a kid, she saw it and they said that she was it was sleeping. It was just sleeping yeah. when she talked to the uh confessional. Sleep so, is very important. Sleep is very right. important. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I mean that that just kind of shows us that, you know, they do actually grow up. It's not like right, they right. are born as adults or whatever. Mm. So they agree here something's not right. You know, she's kind of had the suspicion since you know she mentioned that she was a child. And so there are a lot of unanswered questions. They must have like another campus for like the kids or something. Babies, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, the thought, too, that they allow their clones to grow that old. I mean, I guess in case the person who on the other end needs it, but wow. You'd think after a certain point, you know, you don't want to transplant a 90-year-old's heart with another 90-year-old. Yeah. yeah. And, and as, uh, you know, Paul Chaplin mentioned in that uh, online version of the episode guide, you know, how many clones are actually being used? He's like, you, you can go your whole life without an organ transplant. Right. So, you know, so most of these clones are just going to live out their lives. Well, it's mentioned at the end, too, when they're discussing, uh, the senator's discussing the cloning with his brother. Um, and, you know, basically filling them in on what's going on when, when they're on the boat later in. That he actually had tra- heart transplant. Uh, yeah. And that his next clone was in an infant stage. It was, it was you know, yeah, a baby. Yeah. So, apparently, after you use it for one, you would think that they would try to use as many body parts as they could out of one clone. <laughs> 
and you know, or, or oh, yeah, freeze them yeah. or something. But <laughs> nope, just make a new one. Just make a new yeah. one. And yeah, it's kind of risky if you think about it. If you're a seventy-year-old guy and uh, you, you know you have one clone that you think they would do multiple clones for the same person or something like that, or stagger yeah. them out a little bit rather than yeah. wait till you use one to start another one. Yeah, yeah true. The so chances of needing it pretty quickly after that is is pretty high. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it just doesn't it doesn't make sense. And he also mentions, well, not not to get too ahead, but he mentions it, you know, being uh, the key to immortality in some sense. It's really not. I mean, you know, Peter Graves <laughs> no. is an older man. It's not making him any younger. No. It's just kind of replacing what he needs at, at any given moment, you know. And, and eventually, it's it's kind of come out that something's going on here when he's yeah. even if he was to survive, yes. <laughs> if especially if he's a high, you know, a political figure like a president. They're going to notice after 30 years, after a 70-year-old, that he's still alive and doing okay. Yeah, I mean, come on, you know, even Connor McLeod occasionally changed his name and, you yeah. know, moved. Yeah, no ending to his biography. <laughs> <laughs> so, now from here, we, we see more clone track and field events. Uh, Richard <laughs> is participating in a race, and towards the end, he just kind of slows down. So, one of the guides becomes concerned, thinking, oh, he's, you know, probably injured. But Richard here tells him, no, I'm fine, just decided to slow down. And the the guide reminds him, you know, when you're in a race, you have to win. And Richard asks, why? <laughs> and so now the, the guide's all panicking, reporting this odd display of free thinking. So yeah, R- Richard is uh, quite the aberration when it comes to the clones. Mm. I, l- I love the comment about it being an after-school special. <laughs> it definitely <laughs> has that feel in that moment. Yeah. When you're in a race, you have to win. <laughs> <laughs> a big inspirational moment <laughs> richard's why <laughs> yeah for sure so later we see richard in his room and all of a sudden he appears to have a heart attack yeah. and he falls down and so at this point i'm thinking oh did they poison him or something i couldn't remember if they did i didn't think so but two guides now rush in and carry him out so we next cut to a doctor's office where this doctor i guess he's looking at x-rays right in his office next to the desk. Really nice, uh, convenient setup he has. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're there, along with Dr. Jameson, of course, looking at a chest x-ray. And he looks absolutely fine. And he tells Richard, well, you should probably avoid the river because the air is bad there. <laughs> like a small child if you don't want them to do something. Yeah. The lies about the river just keep piling on. <laughs> <laughs> the river of deceit. <laughs> Now, Richard is concerned, but the doctor says, well, maybe you're just excited about going to America. Which, you know, that was news to him. And Jameson adds, yeah, you're scheduled to go in two days. And uh, you're progressing so well, we're letting you go early. See, again, Jameson. Jameson pushes this forward, I'm telling you. It's true. Jameson is a spy from the outside. (laughs) You have me looking at this in a whole new way now. (laughs) So they give him some sort of pills and they let him leave. So from here, we, we later see Lena and Richard meeting by, of course, the uh, the secret love barn. And, uh, <laughs> the love barn. He tells her that they're being watched. And he knows this because he tried a test, pretended to be sick, and when no one was around, all of a sudden the guides came in and retrieved him. So that was pretty clever, mm. actually. Yeah. So both Lena and Richard have noticed that since they've met, the guides have seemed to be acting very strange around them. I have a problem with this. If he thinks they're being watched, what does bringing her inside the barn, like, how does that shield them when he was in his room alone? Yeah. It doesn't. 
Maybe they think the barn is safe. I don't know. Yeah, they, they don't understand the concept of video cameras at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's uh, so many inconsistencies here. Again, yeah. I mean, he could just whisper in her ear and it would be probably just as effective as going to the barn. <laughs> so now Richard has a plan. He tells her that he's going to try to get some answers by sneaking into America. <laughs> he saw that building that they brought George to. So that's obviously the place where he wants to start. Yeah, that's, uh, the, you know, I, at that point I started to wonder, actually, do they think the building is America? Is everybody just in this big building? I think you're just yeah. assuming that's how you get to America, so that's the best place to start the uh, investigation. I guess, yeah. Yeah, I think, is, does the video call it the entranceway? Or, like, the building oh, contains you're right, the entranceway? It does. it does. That's right. I forgot about that. But, again, it just it makes no sense. <laughs> like, <laughs> again, you know, they, they, they have an idea, a concept of walking through a door and entering a room. You know, from their own quarters. So, uh, you know, a whole new world going through a set of doors? Yeah. That shouldn't make sense to them, but whatever, they buy it. <laughs> and, and just a note I should bring up here, too. The bots are often singing, Today! Every time they <laughs> mention that. Every time. To America. America! Yeah. <laughs> and for those that don't know, this is a reference to the Neil Diamond song, America. So mm-hmm. Just very, very funny. So Lena doesn't want Richard to leave, but he promises to return. And Servo says, I'll leave you a lump of dough with hair on it to remind you of me. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, we haven't really brought up the fact that, you know, it's not usually their mode, but boy, the guys are brutal yes. to the actors in this oh. movie, like appearance wise. They're really, and, and I, I know in fairness, you know, they're, they're not the most attractive people. And, and the poor woman who plays Lena, she does her to have a, a smaller nose, but wow, they are rough on these dudes in this movie. <laughs> so, you know, we cut to the computer room and of course their suspicions are confirmed. They are being watched on a monitor. And at this point, Mike and the bots exit the theater and we cut to commercial. Now, when we return, Pearl and crew are still being tortured by the space children. And she begs Mike to turn her communication with the satellite into some sort of children's show. And that's going to distract the kids, hopefully, for a little while. This is one of my all-time favorite host segments <laughs> ever. Probably bar none, maybe, of, of Mystery Science Theater. Yes. Screamingly funny. It was they're a, a crow, the cow, and Tommy the timid tuna. <laughs> <laughs> and we got a great song today. We learned A and three. Today we learned A and three. <laughs> so you know whatever type of kids show that they make up on the spot works. And uh, so Pearl is like, all right, I'm gonna sneak off and try to find a casino out here. <laughs> because what's what's happening in the arc of the show? Did they they crash landed on some sort of planet? Correct. Yeah. Or they're 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 on this. I think weren't they on like a? I, I get them mixed up sometimes. But weren't they on like a, kind of like almost like a camping planet? And they wake up. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. It was very yeah. much lost in space ish on um, mm-hmm. this part of the series in the VW uh, rocket ship. <laughs> every every week we talked about before was a new um, new planet, or you know, it, after a couple episode arc, a new planet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they go to ancient Rome at one point. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of that in that the sci-fi run. Yeah, and and this whole kind of uh, this episode with you know the kids, it's kind of parodying a Star Trek episode, I believe. A little bit, yeah. Also, um, actually, I think a movie they did earlier on in Mystery Science Theater wasn't there a movie with space children? Children from space or something? Something, yeah, where they had like <laughs> omnipotent kids. Hmm. 
Yeah, it's very Star Trek, very very lost in space with this these this planet where there happen to be omnipotent space children. <laughs> so, you know, Pearl goes off to find this casino, but then uh, the kids show turns into a strange Spanish language show where <laughs> Mike and the bots are decked out in silver costumes, very tight silver costumes. <laughs> Mike's extremely upsetting silver shorts. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and of course, the space children begin to immediately cry. <laughs> oh gosh, it's just one of the greatest things. I mean, the constant yelling, the uh, the camera zooming in and out, um, <laughs> <laughs> everything about it is one of the greatest pieces of the film on the show's history. I to this day. I can't say the letter A without going agua. <laughs> it's, so, it's so great. So now Pearl swears revenge on Mike because she doesn't get to go off to find the casino. And uh, we get movie sign bringing us back to the film. So now returning to the movie, it's now night, and the guides are checking clones' rooms to make sure that everybody's accounted for. These are these bed checks we were talking about. So after a guide leaves Richard's room... Richard then walks out, sneaks outside, and he runs at night to the secret building. Uh, evidently, no guides hang out at night. Yeah, no, no guards in the way, no you know spotlights or anything, just pure darkness. Yeah, another yeah. well lit scene. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he sneaks in, I guess, as a guide is leaving. I mean, very risky maneuver here, and he begins to run down these corridors. And uh, as another guide is called away, Richard sneaks into this room with the sign, Authorized Personnel Only. And within this room, there's a curtain, and he goes through that curtain to find another room with a whole bunch of secret files that he, you know, rifles through. Ah, uh, yes, the Department of Backstory. Yep. Yes. <laughs> and I love how he, he's just, like, rifling through it and just, like, throwing stuff all over the place. Like, yeah. dude, you, you're trying to, like, be sneaky here. <laughs> they do reference yeah, reference that, too. He's like, well, I guess, you know, he... Didn't think ahead about anybody coming back and seeing this. Yeah. yeah. They'll never know I was here. <laughs> My favorite line in this section was uh, the George Orwell line where he says, well, you know, we weren't at war with Eurasia after all. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's a great reference. I love that. <laughs> and Mike Mike says here, it might help him if he had an objective of some sort. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. really, what is he looking for? Old, more old Milwaukee cans or uh, <laughs> or what? Wouldn't it have been great if he had found a secret stash? Like some, <laughs> some one of the guides is just like a secret old mill addict, and you know, and he's got like a bunch of empties under his bed. That would have been amazing. <laughs> the minerals! I found more minerals! And the fact that he, he discovers, he pulls out this thing, this piece of paper, the sheath out, out of a, uh, a folder, and it's just a map of the United States. Yeah. And that's, what he did. Yeah. that's, that's his uh, realization. And he sees Milwaukee, and he's going across with his finger across the map, and it's like, why would they even have a map folded up of the entire United States folded up like that? What yeah, would be able to possibly how would purpose know what it is? Yeah. Do they? I mean, do they show them? Is it about America? I mean, that's that's the thing. How would he know what it is? Yeah. How would he know to look for Milwaukee? Yeah. Again, he just happened to look at the right spot because this is a good sized map too. I mean, yeah. it should take him like an hour to find Milwaukee, not knowing what he's looking at. We're assuming he knows what maps are and. You know, again, they talk about America, but I'm sure they don't show him maps of America in that book, you know? So, yeah, yeah. so many things we're assuming here. So many things we have to buy going into there's this. Lot of, there's a lot of holes. Yes. I like, well, as he's going through, Mike says, now I get it. I don't understand a thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's so true. Yeah. 
it, he also goes and he takes a security map that he finds. He pulls that out and stashes it. Again, he knows how to read maps, evidently. So going through more files, he finds this handwritten notebook with profiles. And inside, he sees his photo, or, you know, he assumes his photo, on the page for Professor Richard Knight, Ph.D., from Des Moines, Iowa, born January 10th, 1922. So we read at the bottom of the page that Richard Knight was cloned on December 1948. So Richard, of course, tears out this page, and he finds a video cassette that he puts into a player. Which he apparently knows how to work a VCR. Yeah. VCR, yeah. It's like a Betamax, I think, too, isn't it? It's uh, definitely a bigger format. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's some sort player. of video cassette. Yeah, yeah. Not, a, not a standard VHS. Now I'm just picturing the clones hanging out and watching all the episodes of, like, I don't know, Bonanza in their rooms. <laughs> not Bewitched. Yeah, no, definitely, yeah. Can't have Bewitched. <laughs> Raise all kinds of questions. Or That's not me, it's a mineral. Yeah, biography. <laughs> <laughs> how does he know how to do that? Gosh, there's so many things. Yeah. So we now see this orientation film about cloning that begins to play. And here, Richard and us, we all learn that human cloning was invented in 1931. And with unlimited funding, an isolated breeder facility called Clonus was built. (laughs) Unlimited funding. Uh, Yeah, unlimited. Okay. (laughs) So each clone at the facility has a counterpart in the outside world. And the film narrator goes on to explain that, oh, the problem of individuality was easily suppressed through routine lobotomies. <laughs> <laughs> the I like mittens line here is so yeah. great. <laughs> Dude just sort of grinning vacantly at the camera. Yeah. I like mittens. The best yeah. acting in the movie, this guy. Yeah. Like those stupid lines, you know, whenever there's just kind of a dumb look on the on their face, you know, like, I like whatever. Yeah. yeah. Anytime they do that, you know, in Mystery Science Theater or like Riff Tracks, it, I don't, I just crack up every time. <laughs> So as the guide's footsteps are kind of heard in the distance, Richard now grabs the tape, runs into the elevator, and climbs out on top as Jameson and Nelson enter. So he's riding on top of the elevator for quite a long time, and Crow says, yeah, this is what happens when Otis Elevator sponsors a movie. <laughs> we get to Bruce Willis line also, I just bumped into Bruce Willis. Yep. Yeah. I'm also <laughs> fond of the, I'm pretty sure Yoshi parked up on seven. Oh, yeah. yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so after the doctors now leave, Richard jumps down, out, and into the hallway, and the guide returns to find all of the files strewn about, and the alarm <laughs> is immediately sounded. So, you know, bad work on Richard here. Do they ever mention the fact that they ripped off the Enterprise Red Alert I was sound thinking there? that, too. <laughs> oh, is it? I didn't it's notice exact... that. I don't, think they, I don't think they make reference to that, and no. it's instant for me. It's the klaxon it's from, Star uh, Trek, yeah, it's, it's a Red Alert klaxon from the original Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, it's instant for me. It's it's got that instant, you know, it's got an instant nostalgia feeling, you know, because I used to watch that as a kid all the time. And so I remember when I watched this episode for the first time and I heard that, I really expected them to make reference to that. And I don't think they ever do. They did. No, no, they don't. So now, as this is happening, all these alerts are going off. The guides enter Richard's room only to find that pillows are stuffed under his blankets. <laughs> Guide kind of angrily throws the pillow down and crows like, he didn't fluff. <laughs> <laughs> So now Jameson and Nelson are at their controls in the computer room with everyone on high alert, and we cut to commercial once again. So when we return, it's the next morning. Richard is still on the run, and he's going through, I guess, some old tunnels or something on the property, and he's using that security map that he took as a guide. And we get to Mario Brothers' uh, underground music. (laughs) 
So now running through a field, heading towards the hills, a guard fields spots of wheat. Him. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and the the guard's firing at him, and he actually does hit Richard. Hits him oh, right gosh, in the shoulder. Yeah, the, the gun <laughs> every thing. time. That was yes. so great. The, yeah, the fact for the next few minutes, you just hear the pew sounds every two seconds. A pew, 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 ow, pew, ow, ow. <laughs> <laughs> and this guard is just I mean yeah he's running away but he has a vehicle he could follow him on foot if he wanted to he's just like yeah I'm just gonna take a shot at him yeah he's got a car yeah you could, yeah, just he could go little, after what, him four by yeah. or whatever you could run him down it's a very good point yeah the uh, the whole wheat thing uh, that's actually a reference to love and death oh is it okay yep and so yeah Richard's making his way towards the hills and I guess yeah once you get there that's the perimeter and there's a chain link fence, as Sean mentioned earlier. Just very short chain link fence. No electrification, no barbed wire, nothing. Uh, and we noticed that it has a sign that says Walker Industries Research on it. So there's another reference to Walker. I think it's funny if uh, they cut back to the control room a number of times to track its position. And it's just literally a computer screen with two lines intersecting mm. to show where his position currently is. They're all getting frustrated. <laughs> oh, he's over... He's going this way. He's almost over the fence. It's like, how could you tell anything from those two lines? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> just two lines crossing each other. I mean, there's no map. There's no reference points at all to it. Yeah, for some, you know, for a facility that has monitors everywhere or cameras that they can use to monitor everywhere, and for that they have lines. <laughs> Servo calls it the Mondrian channel. Oh, yeah. This is a great, great art history reference there. <laughs> So Richard makes it to the top of a craggy peak, and he looks at the city below. <laughs> jump, Do you jump, think? jump, jump, jump. Do it. You want to. Do it. <laughs> jump. So we next cut to Lena in her room as she's awoken by guides who drag her away. So there should be some indication that something's happening here. So from here now, we cut quickly back to Richard. He's holding on to his bloody shoulder, and he's walking down a busy sidewalk. And so he's walking by some really scummy establishments. Including Don's Arcade. Did you guys notice that? <laughs> yes! <laughs> Don, Don's pinball machine. Yeah, it's just an open storefront with two pinball machines. Yeah. Like, it's, it, you walk in through the front, it's probably like six feet deep and that's it. Yeah. Very weird. And we have the whole porn theater. Yes. Owned by James Galloway. James Galloway. Parn. <laughs> Come right in and enjoy some house and parn. <laughs> And now there's a guy on a motorcycle, and he spots Richard and radios in that he's pursuing him. So this is somebody on the outside. So he chases Richard down an alleyway and over a footbridge. Now, this guy's on a motorcycle, and he's firing at him with a handgun <laughs> in public. Yeah. The, uh, the quick uh, line by Crow that's taking a lot of hits destroys me every time. <laughs> So Richard steals this kid's bike and took, continues to flee. It took the kid a really long time to realize his bike was gone. Yeah. yeah. Like, hey, it took yeah. my bike. He's like, you know, half a mile away at that point. <laughs> this kid that's just observing traffic from the footbridge. And so Richard continues to flee, but then he crashes over this pile of garbage in front of a house belonging to a bickering elderly couple. And just... Oh gosh. Bad bad direction here. You gotta you gotta tell the guy playing Richard. All right, don't move around that much as you're sprawled yeah, it's, over the garbage. It's very weird. Very awkward motions that he was making. 
that was the 11th class that they were going to learn. So this elderly couple, this is uh, Jake and Anna Noble. They, they call them the Lockhorns, <laughs> Mike and the Bots. <laughs> and, uh, Jake finds him strangely panting and brings him in. So they, they dress his wounds and he shows them the page from that book that he tore out about who he was cloned from. And he mentions, you know, people are after me. And we find out here that Jake is a retired newspaper reporter. And he agrees to help Richard find the man from the document who he believes is Richard's father. He says, you know, this is your dad. You know, I'll, I'll bring you home. Yep. Thinks that, you know, this is a very troubled young man. Well, older man. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this young 35-year-old. So, yeah. So Jake and Anna continue to bicker, like, back and forth. And uh, we from there we cut to commercial. Yeah, I... I... <laughs> Crow, crows, can't you see how much I hate you? <laughs> <laughs> so when we return from commercial, Mike and the bots are horrified to see a hairy man in a Speedo lounging on a pool raft. <laughs> oh, God. It's <laughs> the real horror of this film. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> now, this is Rick Knight, and he's there along with his father, an older man named Richard Knight. Now, for those that are actually keeping track, Richard Knight is the doctor from from which our protagonist, Richard the Clone, was cloned from. Wait, Richard, he's a doctor? That's what he's supposed to be? He's a PhD. Oh. Yeah. but uh, The line well, later where they make fun of, they're like, uh, we've discussed it when none of us know what you do, cracks me up because I could never figure out what he's supposed to be either. <laughs> well, he was, it says he was PhD in what, who knows, but then he... He's also supposed to be from Des Moines, Iowa, but very conveniently lives uh, in a very California city. The guess is Los Angeles. I mean, yeah. we're assuming. Yeah. All right. So here's my question to all of you. Uh, if you're, say you're 50 years old and you meet a younger version clone of yourself, what's the first thing you do? Well, obviously you kill him and harvest his organs. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> okay. For, for um, Matt... Because you don't know me, it's my shtick, like, once every episode to ask some sort of question <laughs> relating to the... Oh, okay. Man, um, I, don't, I don't know. I genuinely don't know either. You Panic can't... would be the first thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, absolute abject terror. Possibly loathing, because, you know, I know what I look like. And then you kill him and you harvest his organs. I mean, <laughs> this is not too hard. <laughs> I, I tell, sometimes tell my wife I wish I had twins so I could have spare parts if you know something came up <laughs> i i thought long and hard about my answer okay go ahead yeah i'd like to hear this oh i would <laughs> i would scam people with like a lotion product and be like look how younger i look and just use my clone <laughs> wow <Okay. laughs> yikes foolproof <laughs> yeah what a criminal yeah, <laughs> yeah that's uh that's that's oddly sinister yeah. That sounds like some kind of uh, plot that would come up at Clonus as one of their uh, indoctrination uh, <laughs> lessons. It's funny, that actually is sort of the plot of a uh, sci-fi novel I read once. <laughs> oh my god. It was really bad. I don't recommend it. I don't even remember the name of it. It was just terrible. Wow. <laughs> but yeah, it was literally about a lotion that made you like actually physically younger. <laughs> <laughs> eh, it was free on Kindle. Hey, there you go. Well, it reminds me of an episode of uh, Futurama where uh, the professor buys the stem cells. Remember that one? Oh, yeah, yeah. The $300 worth of stem cells and rubs them yep. on his face. 
<laughs> over his body, he turns like you know fifty years younger. Wow. Okay. So yeah. So that's settled. <laughs> Watch out for anything Lily's posting. Yeah. Any uh, business opportunities <laughs> she has coming up. <laughs> so anyway, back to the movie. As I was saying, Richard is the, the older Richard is the doctor that the young Richard was cloned from. Richard's son is Rick, the the hairy speedo guy. And Richard, the old Richard's brother, is Jeff Knight. That's the man we saw running for president at the beginning of the movie. So they're all related. Mm. In fact, even Rick works for his uncle's campaign, I guess. Doesn't really come into play here, but yeah. So anyway, uh, just then, Jake Noble arrives poolside to tell him, Hey, I found your other son. And Richard Knight is very confused. You know, I don't have another son. Just the reactions from um, the bots and from... <laughs> When he's getting out of the pool. <laughs> yeah. oh, yes. <laughs> you get that crotch shot for like don't, 20 don't seconds. Don't you? No, go, no, oh, no. <laughs> this, this is the horror. <laughs> Stop it. What did we ever do to you? The funny thing is like five minutes earlier, uh, I, I'm thinking to myself, you know, there's really not any horror <laughs> in this movie. <sighs> so now Richard the Cologne walks over and introduces himself. And the knights are shocked, genuinely. And uh, we briefly cut here to a mystery man angrily threatening Jameson and Nelson over the phone, telling him that the tape of Clonus must never get out. And we we see that this man is older, he has very baggy skin, and he has a very distinct ring on his finger. But it's, it's like a rear three-quarters shot of the guy's head, so we don't see his face. So we immediately cut back to Jack, Richard, and the knights, and they're watching that very tape. This was the, the orientation film about what Clonus really is and how cloning was invented in the 30s. Very convenient. <laughs> yes. Like, all the exposition, it's all Everything's right on in the one tape. place, yep. <laughs> I love the line here where Clone Richard is looking at old Richard and Servo says, Will you wipe me, Clone Daddy? <laughs> oh, all of the jokes, all of the jokes about infantile Richard when he comes out. I wet my car seat again. Oh, you know, and, yep. and anything. Any of those are amazing. There's so <sighs> many of them. They're so funny. Do you cry a lot, Clone Daddy? <laughs> <laughs> so Richard Knight makes Clone Richard stand up and he picks up his shirt, revealing this huge, dark birthmark. It, it's got to be like four inches in diameter. It's really gross. Uh, and so Knight lifts up his shirt to reveal, oh yeah, I have the exact same thing. It's true. He is my clone. I like the fact that two seconds earlier, he was totally non-convinced that this was anything true. And then just that one piece of evidence, like it couldn't have been drawn on or anything like that. It <laughs> proves to him that, yes, they're, you know, exactly the same. Yeah. And I, I love Mike and the bots are just completely disgusted. Crow says, oh, like the movie wasn't horrible enough. <laughs> I wondered about this, too, because, I mean, I, I don't know. But, you know, I just thought to myself, would a clone of someone have the exact same skin markings? But that might be giving this movie more, you know, yeah, scientific... That... It's like anything else. It's genetics plus environment. You know, did uh, did he lounge poolside a little too long? And that's why he has such a, a big, dark birthmark? Who knows? Evidently, it's all genetic in that case. I guess so. <laughs> so, Richard Knight wants to know why he was cloned. You know, he wants to know what Clonus is all about. He wants to know who's running it. And he decides, well, I best meet with my brother Jeff to get some information. And Jake Noble agrees, in the meantime, he'll keep the Clonus tape safe. So we next cut to a marina where Jeff and Richard Knight meet. This is uh, 
Jeff the, from the very beginning of the movie. This was, I guess, all within the, that one day that Peter Graves give, gave them of filming. And Jeff wants to know where the clone is. And he's very inquisitive about the location of the tape. Even though his brother never mentioned any tape. Mm. He quickly backpedals. Well, I just assumed everything's on tape today. <laughs> Everyone involved in the Clonus project is so terrible at lying. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so bad at it. He's a politician. So, he should be better at lying. <laughs> you would think. So they walk to a boat and board. I don't know why they have to get on a boat, but they do. And so here, Jeff tells his brother the truth about Clonus. It's all about organ transplants. A person is cloned, but not just any person, an elite person. And if they ever needed an organ transplant, there's a perfect match readily available. And with this advantage, these ones are practically immortal. This is what we were talking about earlier. Mm. Even though, really not, but... Yeah, I mean, there's... Uh, again, I guess, you know, for extrapolating from the supposed future science of the 1930s that they had in this universe, you, the body just wears out. I mean, there's only so many things you can transplant, you know? <laughs> Plus, in the 30s, they were cloning. Yeah. Yeah, I know. You, you think oh, yeah. that by the 70s, 1980, it was, say, they would have come up with some other technologies if they discovered cloning in the 30s. Yeah, yeah. really. To, to supplement the human body or to, you know to uh, artificial organs or, or to make long, just to lengthen the lifespan of people. So they, yeah. this would kind of be phased out, you would think, pretty quickly, the need for this uh, the replacement clones. Yeah, and the, that was a, a part of the problem that uh, Paul Chaplin brought out in that episode guide, where it was just like, you know, Richard was cloned in like the 30s or 40s. Are you kidding me? <laughs> they had that type of technology <laughs> available. So Richard is very disgusted to hear his brother's sentiments about the whole thing. He, he calls it uh, premeditative murder, you know, saying that they're people, they have rights like anybody else. And Jeff, of course, disagrees. So as they continue to debate, Mike and the bots once again exit the theater. So we next cut back to the Satellite of Love where Mike and the bots watch Pearl, Bobo, and Observer attempt to answer the space children's questions about the facts of life. <laughs> this is the funniest uh, segment for me, uh, just going through the explaining this stuff to these kids, especially yeah, this is my, especially this Bobo. Is my second favorite one. Bobo talking but, about the uh, you know the mating rituals of an ape, basically, and how you have to. Grab you know what's funny though is Bobo is the only one who ever who actually ex attempts to explain anything to the kids. You notice that? <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> Observer explains. Well, it was a mediocre sitcom from the 1980s starring Charlotte Ray. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All of Pearl's euphemisms are so great, too. <laughs> so, if he wants to sod the lawn. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I didn't even catch that. So, while Bobo is giving his very, uh, I guess, uh, detailed explanation from an ape's point of view, he's, of course, once again hitting the groin with a baseball. <laughs> and we cut to commercial. Yeah, I think in the episode guide, uh, the expansion, they... Uh, they re refer to the episode as something about Bobo's poor abused batch. <laughs> <laughs> Bobo goes through a lot this episode. Oh, yes. So when we return, we're back to the movie. Jeff and Richard are still discussing Clonus. Uh, Jeff tells him that uh, he was given a, a heart transplant from his healthy adult clone, and without it, he wouldn't be alive today. That's what you, you guys were referring to earlier. Uh, we also learn that only one body cell is needed to make a clone. So Richard's came from a routine physical that he had 30 years prior, and Jeff pulled some strings on his brother's behalf. 
So that's why he didn't know that that even happened. It's just, well, I had my eyes on a new spleen. <laughs> he changes his mind pretty quickly, Richard, um, from his ethical issue. Yeah, I was going to mention that too. And he yes. flip-flops and he's like, oh, no, I, uh, you're right. These are just uh, not people but things. It's very, uh, very bizarre that he would, you know, just flip so quickly. I thought he was doing that just so he wouldn't get his brother suspicious. Like, I thought he maybe felt as though he stumbled onto something very big and didn't want to make waves with his brother and just kind of pretended he was going along with it and he was going to be quiet. You know, because he, he was like, oh, uh, you know, your argument does have some merit or whatever and begins to leave. And Jeff tells him, keep quiet about the whole thing, saying that even he is expendable if it means keeping Colonus a secret. So back at the night home, we see Richard the clone wakes up uh, in a panic. What, was there a line about wetting the bed or something here? <laughs> I think it was, a, I wet another bed. Yeah, another one. Yeah. <laughs> all the lines, all the lines that they give him as he's listening to this is so great. Yes. <laughs> he turned on the thermostat, it's like 90 in here. Because the guy is like, the the whole scene is shiny, like they've painted him with glycerin or something. <laughs> and And he's got this bug-eyed expression and he's hugging the wall and oh gosh it's so fantastic (laughs) now richard the clone wakes up and he overhears richard knight the older richard talk to his son rick and he's saying oh that clone is a freak of nature he's not like a normal person and rick is very upset with his father saying you know we need to help him he misses his girl so (laughs) there it was just like us (laughs) oh yeah yeah. not like us (laughs) So, so Richard Knight, the older Richard, you know, completely yeah. turned his point of view around. You know, he's you assume he's some sort of doctor and has some sort of appreciation for human life, but no, not anymore. Yeah, par- apparently, if you make it in the lab, it's not people. I guess so. He lights up that pipe. I guess he's a uh, you know, hey, I can get a lung transplant. Might as well start smoking. <laughs> <laughs> Now, I actually skimmed through the original cut of Clonus, and the, you know, the part here where Richard wakes up in a panic for no reason? Well, in the original cut here, he has a dream. He almost has a vision uh, about the, uh, the frozen bodies in the bags, and he also sees Lena getting a lobotomy. And you oh, get a weird. very graphic scene of that bone saw just cutting straight through the, the <laughs> forehead and, you know, blood splatter and stuff. That's probably why it wasn't shown on... Uh, sci-fi network and that's when he wakes up there's really no reason why he should have that vision and it also spoils the reveal at the end so yeah how odd <laughs> made no sense and the mst3k edit really fixed the movie for them huh. yeah i'm trying to remember at the end does it do they show the um the saw going into her head at the end no so, at the end okay, you just see the stitches yeah, when i yeah uh when i was watching the uh the trailer for it they do show that in the trailer Oh yeah. really? Yeah. Crazy. That would totally undercut the the reveal at the end. Why would you even have that scene? Yeah, makes no sense. Makes no sense. Yeah. So Richard won't let Rick call the press. He tells them that Clonus is an organ bank, and oh, you'll understand when you're older and worn out. <laughs> so this is where Richard's like, "I'm just like you." <laughs> Isn't that horrible? <laughs> And Rick definitely wants to help him, and Richard, the, the father, reluctantly lets the two of them drive off. So he, we're talking 180, then 360. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> really weird. Like just a terribly written character. 
And so we next cut to them arriving at the perimeter of the Clonus facility, where Richard the clone thanks Rick and just trots off back to the campus. <laughs> Apparently, like, th this is where like my favorite line in the episode uh, is. Uh, One more clone up in, in the, the canyon. canyon. <laughs> <laughs> Stop it. Dying. Damn you. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just funny one. that he would think that there was no repercussions from him. I mean, he was shot at numerous times by yeah. the guards. I was, I, that's my first thought was like, why is he wanted? I mean, okay. He wants to go back to see his girl again, but do you think he could just wander back in and nothing's going to, you know, he's going to hop back into bed and it's going to be fine. Yeah. What did he, what was his objective here? And they went along with him. They, they didn't question, you know, they knew he had been shot. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. Go ahead. You know, he gets back into bed, wakes up. Oh, no, I'm in America again. <laughs> <laughs> so later that night, we see Jeff arrive at his brother Richard's house with two men. And they ask for the tape, but Richard won't talk. And they they attempt to give him a shot of sodium pentothal, like truth serum, but I'm not sure if they do. Uh, but we cut to commercial. So when we return, Rick finally arrives home. I guess he went for a joyride after <laughs> after going to the, <laughs> to the Colonus. Yeah, I mean, he was hungry. Stopped by McDonald's, you know, got himself a... Burger and some Coke. The new Speedo. Oh, gosh. <laughs> new Speedo, new Speedo in a case of old Milwaukee. Yeah. <laughs> so Richard tries to warn his son, but it's too late. The two thugs, they, they grab Rick and they hold his head under the pool for info, while Jeff and Richard now fight. Uh, get this old man fight now. It's very terrible. And so Jeff falls on Richard holding a fireplace poker, I guess that is? Yeah. And it stabs Jeff right through. Yeah. And they straight out killed his son, too. I mean, just the, the torture. Yeah, they drowned him in the pool. They just drowned yeah. him and chucked him in the pool. It's like, wow. This isn't heading in a good direction, as you could probably tell. <laughs> so we next cut to the home of, of Jake and Anna Noble, where Jake remarks to her, oh, yeah, the Kelowna story will come out soon, and this whole thing will be over. And uh, Anna remarks, oh, that cloning takes all the fun out of it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It's like, oh, brother. This, was, this scene here, I, I, this was the most surprising and weird scene in the entire movie. I can't help wonder if it was, like, added in later so that people wouldn't, you know, so that the, the filmmakers were like, oh, yeah, we never really resolve anything with them. I, I just thought they would end it and they would say, okay, you know, they have this little banter, haha, it's very funny, and that, that was it, you know, and they were just kind of were little played little pieces in this bigger drama and that you know they there's no real consequences for their actions but what happened was just horrific <laughs> I well, mean I, I should I should mention she you know Anna wonders oh I hope Richard's gonna be okay and Jake assures her he'll be just fine and then the house explodes. <laughs> and they're screaming in the background. Oh, yeah, I, it's so it's so random too. It doesn't even look like it's the same area. It looks just like no. it's spliced in. Just here's an explosion. <laughs> and then a woman <laughs> screaming. <laughs> it's like what? Oh, I love that part. <laughs> it's it really is. I mean, it's horrific, but it's hilariously funny. It's extremely funny. I was cracking up. It's like. Like you said, it, was sound, it seems like it was an afterthought when they're editing yeah. the film. Like, we gotta, you know, let's just kill them off. And it's like, well, first of all, if you get blown up in the house, I don't think there's much screaming going on. Um, no. <laughs> two. Two screams. It's horrible. 
Yeah, it's just very unnecessary. It didn't matter. The, the tape was... It's it's not like the tape was there. I, I assume what's happening is they exploded the house because Jake was the reporter that had the tape in his possession. Yeah. Right. So they felt as though they were destroying the tape. But, See, and, uh, you know, you have know. to wonder how they even found out because he doesn't tell them. No. Um, yeah. And, you know, as we'll see in a minute, this has no bearing on the tape. And uh, and how, how did they find out about this guy? <laughs> and at the you know, these were just comic relief characters, basically, uh, throughout yeah. the entire thing. They weren't, they had no real relevance besides the small part they played. So it would have been just fine to leave them where they were, and it would have kind of maybe explained the uh, the ending a little more uh, fully. It's just very bizarre the way they did that. Yeah, yeah, and she just made a naughty grandma joke too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and we've got an extra, we've got some extra money in the budget. What should we do? <laughs> Explosions. Yeah. <laughs> Stock footage well, that's, of a house. Yeah, that's why I meant. Yeah, that's what I meant when I said it seemed like it was just cut in because it doesn't seem like anything. I, I I can't help but wonder if it was a stock footage of an exploding house that because it doesn't seem like it's it it feels so odd. It's such an awkward edit too. Yeah. Because it's like it's the explosion's pretty much in progress as it cuts you know and mm-hmm. she's yeah. right in the middle of a yeah. sentence and it's just like oh yeah. boom <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah i mean it's like you know you would think they would kind of you know cut to an exterior shot like while the sentence is going on and then have the explosion but no yeah. it's just <laughs> just kaboom smash cut explode <laughs> terrible for so many reasons <laughs> So, from this scene, we cut to the Clonus facility where Richard has snuck back in. Like, they still haven't seen him. So, he goes all the way past the perimeter into the campus. And Lena is waiting for him in the window. She's kind of like in like a nightgown or something in the the silhouette of the, the window. And he sees her, and as he runs in, a guide is waiting. So, we know this isn't going to end up well. So, entering Lena's room, Richard is pushed to the ground and just kicked by two guides. And as he looks up and screams her name, Lena turns around with a goofy smile on her face, and we see that she has a lobotomy scar on her forehead. Hi. Dr. Jameson, Dr. Nelson, they step over into frame and welcome Richard home, asking if he liked America. Uh, to which Mike remarks, well, I liked a horse with no name, but after that. Yeah. <laughs> so cutting from Lena's lobotomized expression, we see that mystery man from earlier introducing Jeff Knight as a press conference. And uh, he, we notice that he has the same ring as the guy that was making the phone call earlier. And he's also wearing an eye patch with kind of a fresh bandage underneath. Uh, the lectern also has Walker Industries on it, like the logo there. And Jeff thanks the man, Mr. George Walker. And as Jeff answers a question about human rights, we we fade in and out of scenes of those frozen clones in the bags at the Clonus facility, including a clone missing an eye. And Mike asks, get it? (laughs) (laughs) Now, here's my question for you guys. Was that clone missing an eye? Was he George, the one we saw leave at the outset of the movie? Was I think George it is. Walker, George the Clone? I think it is. Okay. Yes. Because it almost didn't, he didn't look like a blonde guy in the bag. That's why I wasn't sure. Mm. But that, that makes sense, you know, to give him the name George. You can't forget that horrible frozen facial expression. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so imagine that George got called to America because old man George Walker needed an eye. 
He could have lived without that eye. Yeah. <laughs> and how do you reattach a complete eye? Well, they have technology to clone in the 30s, so they yeah. apparently could do yeah. uh, advanced medical techniques, too. This is an alternate history, I guess. Uh, my question is, Jeff suffered a pretty bad injury with having a poker show right. through his body. Yes. I, I wasn't expecting to see him again. I mean, again, if they have this medical technology, I mean, he was dead. Yeah. He's filled with baby guts. Yeah. Well, oh, no. Here's the, no, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. <laughs> when you see Richard at the end, you know, clone Richard in the bag, yes. his heart's gone. So the implication is that they used Richard's heart. Oh, okay. I didn't catch that. All yeah. Right. Yeah, I didn't get that either. Yeah, when I first watched this, I was very confused because I, I thought, wait, didn't Jeff die? And then, when, you know, I re- when I saw, you know, when I, when I watched it again, I was like, okay, so they used his brother's heart. I guess that makes sense. It would be compatible. He's a family member. But it's it's it was very confusing to me at first. But yeah, they used Richard, uh, clone Richard's heart to get Jeff. But even then, you're right. I mean, the guy got a poker through the chest. That's a pretty instantaneous thing. You're not yeah. going to... Yeah, you're not going to from that. Yeah, well, especially considering how long it took Richard to get back to the clone labs. I mean, my gosh. <laughs> What'd they do? they just sit there and jump on his chest for a while until they got Richard prepped. <laughs> <laughs> and what happened to old Richard Knight? Because he, he didn't get stabbed. I think he... I, I think that, I assume that he either had a heart attack or, or just passed away. Because he looked pretty messed up after the uh, fight was over. But he, well, he survived. The, well, he survived the fight anyway. Maybe the two guys that killed his I was son. Say, yeah, maybe the implication is they shoved him in the pool afterwards too. Yeah, they they died as they lived, <laughs> floating around in the pool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just Turn terrible. Me in my speedo. <laughs> <laughs> so just then, a reporter from the Daily Sun steps in and asks Jeff about Clonus, holding up that white video cassette. And we get this moment where Jeff and George kind of just stare at each other. Like, uh-oh. <laughs> and we end on that shot, like Matt was saying, of Richard the clone frozen in a bag. So there's our protagonist. Yeah, because they dead. make that joke. I can barely hear my heart beating. Yeah, that. <laughs> oh, I didn't even catch any of that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Wow. So that's that's the ending of Clonus. Uh, nobody wins. Uh, but maybe, just maybe, the this uh, conspiracy gets exposed at the very end. Sad movie. I, I guess that's one good point for it, because I was ran to the very end when the reporter showed up with the tape. I thought for sure it was just going to be one of those things where they say, oh, you know, we got away with it, and that was how it ended. So I didn't expect to see the uh, reporter from the Daily, whatever it was. Daily Sun Daily Sun, something. Daily Planet, whatever, come in. Uh... <laughs> I remember it because they make that joke. Hi, I'm Brown from the Sun. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. So now as the closing credits roll, Mike and the bots, they, they attempt to weave a tail on the spot using the names as they move across the screen. That was pretty funny. The James Arness stuff was pretty good. Oh, it's great. <laughs> James Arness, ugly and stupid. <laughs> so as the movie mercifully ends, now Mike and the bots leave, and we back up through that long corridor shot into the Satellite of Love. And here we see that Crow has a much smaller beak now. And he asks how they like his new nose job. Again, just being so mean to this poor lady. So next they get a call from Bobo saying that the the space children are finally asleep, so they need to be quiet. And Tom Servo recites this very lovely poem about sleep, followed by very loud, annoying march music being played on a boombox. You know, they're not going to do them any favors. The children wake up, they cry immediately, and Pearl once again threatens Mike. 
And Bobo gets hit in the groin with a baseball. (laughs) (laughs) I think they were wiffle balls. And one of the scenes where poor Bobo's being pelted with them, it made like a very hollow sound. Yeah, clunk. Yeah. I hope I wasn't sure if that was. Yeah, they were. Yeah, I wasn't sure if that was real or if they dubbed it in, but yeah. And this was uh, Paul Chaplin throwing the ball. And I was wondering how many takes it took because he's, you know, like kind of throwing it over his shoulder. Mm hmm. You know, just a, you know, perfect shot. So from there, we cut to our closing credits. And of course, with any episode of MST3K, there is a stinger at the end where they usually take a funny or unusual clip and play it at the end. And so did you guys catch for this episode? It was uh, the sure, wasn't it? <laughs> yep. Yes. <laughs> uh, Rick in his robe in the living room. Sure. Sure. <laughs> And that ends uh, such a great episode of Mystery Science Theater 3000. So what are your thoughts now upon watching this episode for the podcast? We'll start with you, Matt. Oh, well, it's always a pleasure for me, this one. I mean, I've seen it so many times. I I was watching, one of the times I was watching it this week, I was I was actually simultaneously putting together a bookcase, but as I was watching <laughs> it, I've seen it so many times, I was just quoting it as I went, and... <laughs> It's it's just an absolute joy this episode. I love everything about it. The host segments are they're 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 top notch. They're on point. the uh, The riffing is great, and the movie allows for so many fantastic opportunities for really really good riffs because of the strange acting choices, the odd uh, script, the very very self serious, and the, the film takes itself very seriously too. Mm. And it's just, and yet it's so strangely. You know, very seventies, very and kind of almost campy, and it's it's kind of the perfect storm, you know, and it's almost watchable too. So it's sort of the perfect storm for a mystery science theater episode. It's got all the right elements, and they manage to just make absolute gold out of it. For me, I I would say it's definitely you know a solid episode, but definitely not one of my favorites. I don't know. The, I think it's partially because the, the movie itself is just kind of a tough one to get through for me. <laughs> it's just, kind of you know, a mm-hmm. lot of holes in the script and things that just don't kind of make a whole lot of sense. But, you know, the jokes throughout it are definitely really good. And uh, I was thinking about it when I was watching it today. It kind of reminds me a little bit of the Twilight riffs for uh, Riff Tracks because you've got kind of the little bit of like you know the love story going on with just the complete idiot you know and <laughs> going through it there a lot of the jokes kind of remind me of that a little bit uh, you could even go as far as you know the whole repeating jokes non-stop you know biography or today you know like those things <laughs> uh, you know where in the twilight riff you know you get the constant line line which i know some people absolutely hate that but i love it <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, for me, it's not my least favorite. Um, it's not my favorite either. It's just kind of in the middle for me. You know, I'll take a cave dwellers, pod people, uh, screaming skull. I accuse my parents, uh, like any of those before this, any day. Um, I really like this in terms of mystery science theater. I've only seen one other episode of mystery science theater, which was uh, Manos. <laughs> <laughs> The infamous Manos. Uh, But I felt like being so young, it's like hard to get a lot of the references that they make. But this one in particular, I got pretty much everything. And I thought it was funny. I thought the movie was bearable enough. (laughs) (laughs) 
Unlike Manos, which is just like painful, oh. even with the commentary. Come on, Manos is great. <laughs> actually, oh. you know, I would actually say that I think the live riff tracks of Manos is superior to the original Mystery Science Theater episode. Oh, really? Really? I, I have both. Really? I gotta watch them both again. I, I really would say that. it's. I think it's actually funnier. Yeah, I mean, it was great. I'm glad I watched it. Yeah, I would say, you know, where you haven't really seen any of the other ones, I accuse my parents, you mm. have to watch that one. <laughs> <laughs> Mitchell's pretty good, too. That's all my favorites. Yes. Mitchell's good. Mitchell's good. I said it before, I'll say it again, overdrawn at the memory bank. Yes. I always <laughs> like. Yes. Great. There, you know, there's, was that also season eight? Uh, that was in the sci-fi run. Uh, okay. maybe a little later. It was maybe pretty late. The... Yeah, pretty yeah. late. There were run. some of some of the sci-fi era ones. They really had. I don't know. They hit a really good stride for a while. Because the mm. uh, also, um, I was gonna suggest uh, Giant Spider Invasion. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That one's good too. So funny. I'll definitely put all those on my list. <laughs> yeah, I, I make a point of watching. I accuse my parents on my birthday every year. <laughs> <laughs> You'll get why when you see it. Yeah. Well, for me, you know, I thought I was pretty knowledgeable of um, MST3K. I've watched it for years upon years, way before the the sci-fi days. So I, I watched it way before the Comedy Central days. I've I've seen many episodes of this, and I've never saw this one before. Amazingly, I don't know how I missed it, but it is a gem. I put it as one of my favorites now, and, and it's just it's just a classic. It's really good. Like I said, it's all around. There's no dead parts to it. All the uh, host segments are really good. All the jokes, you know, it keeps on rolling. And the the movie itself isn't extremely horrible. I mean, some MST3Ks are just so bad. The movie (laughs) itself is just so boring and bad. It's even if they're riffing on it every two seconds, it's it's hard to get through. This this wasn't one of those. It was really a, a decent story for what it was and the budget it had and the fact that they just hit a home run on this one so it, it makes me excited about the new season or the new episodes coming out soon it makes me excited to go back and watch some of the other ones another thing i wanted to recommend to lily uh is the shorts if you could just go on yeah. youtube oh, and watch yeah. the oh, shorts yeah. I, I watch those every few weeks and they just crack me up every time i watch them basically they're just so you know lily they're basically public service type short videos why they're called shorts, that were basically tacked on to the end of some shorter movies that Mystery Science Theater did, so they had to make up some time to make a full episode. And some of them are just so hilarious. You can watch them over and over and over again. So just, I know they're all on, most of them are on YouTube, so just check that out. They're very, very funny. Yeah, and as a musician, Lily, I think you'll especially appreciate Mr. B Natural. <laughs> I was oh, just God, thinking yeah. of Mr. B. <laughs> There's, oh. I mean, they're the 50 PSA type stuff, and it's just... <laughs> You know, keeping neat and clean and the day at the <laughs> Yeah, they're, fair. they're all old like, educational things, essentially. Uh, you yeah. Know. yeah. The oh best God, one, I awesome. think, well, I like two of them. I like the one about Koi the Spring one. Oh, of course. Oh, Koyle, yeah. That Koyle's one cracks great. me up every time. The spring and... Um... No springs! <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. No springs! But um, also the one about the... <laughs> The locomotive corporations put some out. The train, co- you know, people ran trains. Oh, 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 oh. And, um, what's that one called? I know what you're talking about. Uh, the why don't they look one? <laughs> yeah. About <laughs> about being safe at railroad crossings. It's the whole thing, but it was just so funny. That's so great. Oh, uh, yeah, and just so those are a masterpiece in themselves. I remember they. I had all the VHSs until a few years ago of all the volumes of the shorts, and they were just really funny. So. 
we should do a, a podcast just on those because they're just oh yeah they are mm-hmm. just gems. So yeah, but this is an excellent episode. I, I really enjoyed it. All the Three's Company uh, references were cracked me up, which again <laughs> something I really wouldn't get necessarily. But yeah, it's just very very good. Yeah, I, I love this episode too. And you know, just going to your point about the references. Uh, that's kind of like the beauty of it is I don't, very few people get all of the references in the the amazing colossal episode guide, which came out in the middle of the run. It still had to put in uh, a list of references in the back so you could get them. You know, like you can understand what the Dell, the ferry at the Dells, I think was one of the things they say. There's a lot it, of it was their most obscure references is what they did. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's things that. If you lived around where they were, like in Eden Prairie, Minnesota or something, I forget where Best Brains was, you know, if you were there, maybe you'd understand some of those local references. But for most of us, you know, unless you were part of the writing staff, you would not understand everything. So that's kind of great. You know, even if some things are lost, you know, you're certainly not alone. And just going back to the shorts... It's after Mystery Science Theater. It's a Rift Tracks one, but Shake Hands with Danger is awesome. Oh, yes. Uh-uh. Really good one. Uh, just uh, this episode, I, I love this one. I, I own it in the, the Rhino box set, and uh, yeah, go back and watch it every so often. Uh, to me, I don't mind this movie. Again, not the execution of it, but the script, the premise of it is kind of interesting. Not a happy ending, unfortunately, but it's interesting enough a lot of people don't like the sci-fi run the sci-fi channel run i enjoy it i I know they were limited as far as what movies they could pick the movies they picked i liked you know i liked some of the more sci-fi movies than say uh, dramatic horror like the screaming skull which i like that too i think that might have been a sci-fi one too but it was it was toward the end of the run where i think the writers were saying that they the uh, they knew that the show was ending, and so the producers basically didn't care. That's how they managed to get away with Hamlet, too, oh, okay. which is yeah, Hamlet. so very oh. obviously not a science fiction movie. Yes. That's one I can never get through. Yeah. <laughs> we, talk, we talked about it last time Matt was on the show, but yeah, Kevin and I agree on uh, Red Zone Cuba being yep. one that you just can't get through. It's I like that bad. one, too. <laughs> it, I'm to, Red Zone Cuba has a pretty good short, though, doesn't it? I think yes. so, yeah. Yeah, I, I forget so, which one yeah. it is. So yeah, like like was as was said, it, those are on YouTube. Uh, I also noticed on the uh, the Shout Factory Roku channel, they they have a lot of those mm-hmm. uh, full episodes and shorts compilations as well. So yeah, the, what's great is that the uh, the tapes are always circulated as they always encouraged at the end of these episodes, and uh, still to this day, these episodes are still out there and. Uh, available for free. So what's interesting about the YouTube channel too, the official Mystery Science Theater YouTube channel, is they've also been releasing full episodes, and they, for people who want the references, have released annotated ones where every reference is explained. Wow. Which yeah. is odd, but simultaneously too. fascinating. That's yeah, great. And, and you can actually go, I think it's uh, annotated, annotatedmst.com or something like that has like lists of Oh yeah, I've seen that site. Yeah, yeah, that site's cool, but I like. I can't. I think I kind of like the official versions. They're doing a little bit better, just because the annotation appears on screen as they're making the joke, which is kind of cool. Yeah, Yeah, very cool. The uh, short for Red Zone Cuba was uh, speech, platform, posture, and appearance. Oh, that's what it was. That was yeah. That was the one with the the eagle at the end. That my posture is good. Yes. All right, well, that'll pretty much do it for this episode of Hitting Play. As always, you can email us with your comments, suggestions, what you would do if you met your clone, whatever you got for us at hittingplayshow at gmail.com, or you can talk to us on Twitter at Hitting Play. Now, Matt, 
you have a Kickstarter that is currently active. So could you tell us a little bit about that? Yep. It's a a rerun of uh, the Kickstarter for my book four. And uh, we've actually hit goal right now. So right now we're trying to aim for some stretch goals, which is pretty great. Um, We're very close to our next stretch goal. We only need, I think at last check, I... Last time I checked, we only needed five more people, so hopefully by the nice. time this uh, air episode airs, we'll be over that one and heading for the next one. And so it's to, of course, print the fourth book in my ongoing series, Catbeard the Pirate, which is, uh, for any new listeners, about a pirate who's under a voodoo curse to have a cat for a beard. It's a ongoing all-ages comedy-adventure comic, uh, something I really enjoy doing, and I'm really looking forward to the release of this fourth volume. People can find this on your website? Uh, they can find it at Kickstarter. They can find it uh, linked at catbeardthepirate.com. Or if you go to mattnelsonart.com, it's also currently redirecting to the Kickstarter. Very cool. And uh, how can people follow you on social media? Let's see. On Twitter, I'm at Matt W. Nelson. On Facebook, I believe, I'm also Matt W. Nelson. Uh, I don't really update my Tumblr and uh, and Instagram much anymore, but I'm pretty sure I'm Matt W. Nelson on those as well. I, I use my full name on, on just about everything. Okay, Kevin, do you have anything you want to plug? Sure. Uh, you can find me pretty much uh, anywhere on social media as uh, One Wall Cinema. Um, you can check out the movie riffing stuff if you like Mystery Science Theater. Uh, we have links to that at onewallcinema.com. And I believe uh, our most recent uh, release, which uh, would be the Barbers of Riffsville, uh, you can use the coupon code hitting play, and I think it'll take a dollar off of uh, the price if you're interested in picking that up. Uh, there's samples and stuff, that you, so you can kind of see what you're getting into uh, on there. But yeah, feel free to check that out. Awesome. It's really good. He's a very funny man. Thank you. <laughs> And I will also say I enjoy uh, Catbeard the Pirate, as do my kids. So uh, see, definitely, I, that definitely just makes me super out. happy inside. I love hearing the kids like it. Lily? So you can find me on Twitter at LilyPution22. Um, and my website, where it has all my game design stuff, is uh, LilyandBunye.com. And I'm going to have the, the links to all these sites that are mentioned in the description of this episode. So if you are using an Apple device, I believe you can click right on the, the link in the description. Sean, you got anything? Uh, yeah, just uh, again, my kudos again for Capier the Pirate. I think it's, I'm a newer fan of it. I think it's awesome. I love the art on it. Oh, thank uh, you. So I will be uh, definitely reading some more of that. And please, our listeners, uh, support Matt and his, his efforts because he's doing a really good thing. And it's really good to have uh, more independent uh, comics out there. So I mm-hmm. really give him kudos for that. Uh, the only thing I have to plug is uh, my YouTube site or our YouTube site, which is Three Blind Mice. We've got it up and running again. I hope to see Scott and Lily on there to do some more Minecraft videos soon. But I am doing an ongoing series with my son, so please check that out. We're really enjoying doing it. So Very nice. Uh, I am on Twitter as well. My name there is at MC and Friends. You can follow me there. I am also on Vine, and there I do flip page cartoons, kind of humorous uh, animations. And there uh, I am also MC and Friends. You can follow me there. If you listen to us on iTunes, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. It helps us out, and if you do, you will get a shout-out on the show. For Android users, we are also available to stream and or download on Stitcher. We can be found on TuneIn Radio, and we are now on the Google Play Music app. So check us out on those platforms. Well, Matt, thank you for taking the time to join us, and you too, Kevin. Uh, just uh, really great, and everybody, give, give these guys some cash. Buy their stuff. <laughs> Thanks. It's been great to be here, actually. I'll take cash, too, if anybody has any. Yeah, sure. <laughs> oh, and, and and one thing I should mention is one of the rewards on the Kickstarter is uh, commissions. 
Oh, yeah, that, right? that is true. Yep, I uh, make me work for it, guys. Matt has posted some pictures uh, of some of the drawings that he's done at uh, some of these uh, Comic Cons. They're great. Oh, thanks. I love that Wolverine one. That was awesome. Oh, I, I really liked that. Thank you. I was I was really happy with how that came out. Maybe he'll do me strangling Archie. I, <laughs> I've been I trying to get that. that done for a while. I could do that. Okay. <laughs> wow, such hate. I know. I've got a friend who's a big Archie fan. That'll make him sad. I like Archie the comic. I do not like Archie the character, but we don't have enough time to go into the whole thing now. So <laughs> I think Hold he's a podcast. chauvinist. I don't like him. Wow. <laughs> so we got to make sure that uh, Sean's on next time we have Veronica on. Cause I that, know. That would be interesting. Yes. Yeah, that would be interesting. We had the artist of Archie on the show, Sean. I know, I know. But uh, yeah, I, I don't like Archie. I like, I'm a big fan of the Archie comics, though. I just don't like Archie as a character. <laughs> wow. I okay. would strangle him to death and take his organs if I could. <laughs> wow. Oh my goodness. <laughs> right. Well, there's no topping that. So we have been Matt, Kevin, Lily, Sean, and Scott, and this has been a giant sized episode of Hitting Play. Thank you so much for listening. Still a better love story than Twilight. <laughs> <laughs>